Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Life's busy. Take this deck. There's heaps to do on it. Like, um, polishing off this wine. That's tough. Life's pretty good with a Trex deck. Composite decking with no hard maintenance. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Hello, Julian DeStoop here. On the podcast today, we wrapped up an extraordinary first test at Adelaide Oval with Adam Collins. We spoke to InfoTrack skipper Christian Beck following the cancellation of the 2020 Sydney to Hobart yacht race. We had a great chat with up-and-coming motorsport star Thomas Randall after he was awarded the Innes Island Trophy for courage and sportsmanship. And we're also joined by Demon Sam Wiedemann and great mate Ben Gibson from the D's chatting all things backyard cricket. Good afternoon and welcome to SEN Afternoons. Julian DeStoop with you this afternoon. Uh, big show coming up after an amazing weekend of sport, both on and off the field. Unfortunately, due to uh, the COVID uh, crisis, I guess, that's unfolding uh, in New South Wales and the Northern Beaches at the moment, it's thrown some sports uh, into chaos over the weekend. Potentially, uh, the Sydney New Year's test It has ramifications as well. Uh, for the A-League as well, which is just about to get uh, their season underway. And then we saw some remarkable things uh, on the sporting field, both here at home and overseas on the weekend. Of course, significantly, and the one that everyone's been talking about, was that dramatic uh, batting collapse from India on the third morning of the test. All out for 36. Uh, What does it mean for the Boxing Day test? Obviously, we should be preparing uh, what we thought for day five. And after the first day, which was a great contest, uh, between bat and ball, it looked like that test was going to go the distance, but it didn't. Uh, the Australian bowling attack led by Pat Cummins and Josh Hazelwood, absolutely brilliant. So we'll chat to Adam Collins uh, shortly about just wrapping up that first test and what it all means uh, for the second test. It looks like Australia is going to take an unchanged lineup in David Warner, battling to be fit uh, to come back from that groin injury. Will Pekoski hasn't batted in the nets yet, uh, taking a lot of precautions with him, given he's had nine concussions before. But all the focus now is on how can India bounce back uh, for this second test. They lose their captain, Virat Kohli, uh, who's gone home. They lose Mohamed Shami. Uh, the news this morning, if you're just catching up, that uh, he did break his arm after being struck in that second innings. Uh, he's on his way home. So there's going to be wholesale changes to the Indian lineup, at least two. Uh, there's talk they'll change the wicketkeeper. Their, their top order certainly didn't fire, and uh, particularly their openers. So there could be mass changes to the Indian lineup. How do they bounce back uh, come Boxing Day? And uh, what sort of wicket we'll get presented with on Boxing Day uh, will be of great interest as well. So we'll chat to Adam Collins, part of the SEN uh, commentary team, uh, about that a little bit later on uh, in this first hour. Of course, as we mentioned there too, of course, the, the COVID situation has thrown... Uh, So many sports are into chaos, and one of them, uh, the news announced yesterday, was the cancelling of the Sydney to Hobart yacht race. For the first time in the event's 76-year history, uh, it has been cancelled. So that is uh, so disappointing for everyone involved in that sport, everyone that loves watching that around Christmas time, along with the Boxing Day test. It's a huge tradition of Boxing Day, the start of that race uh, in Sydney Harbour, but it's all over this year. Now, just exactly what's going to happen from here uh, remains up in the air. Will there be some sort of uh, race around Sydney, potentially, uh, for some of the uh, the yachts that we're going to compete? So we'll speak to the skipper 
uh, of the favourite going into the race, uh, InfoTrack, who finished second last year, um, had all the, the wins in the lead-up races. Christian Beck uh, is the skipper of InfoTrack. He'll join us uh, in about 15 minutes' time just to take us through uh, his feelings and the feelings of everyone that was involved uh, in the Sydney to Hobart now that it's been cancelled. What does everyone do uh, from here? So really disappointing that that's uh, Boxing Day tradition and uh, has been cancelled uh, for this year, but I guess it's also perfectly uh, understandable uh, in the current climate. Also on the show today, we're going to speak to Demon Sam Wiedemann, the young key forward. We're not going to talk much footy, though. We're going to talk uh, backyard cricket as part of a, a, a Cricket Australia initiative uh, himself, and also Ben Gibson, uh, who he grew up with playing cricket. He works at the Melbourne Footy Club uh, in the media department with him. They play some pretty serious uh, backyard cricket. So we're going to talk to those two gentlemen about uh, all that uh, backyard cricket, such a big part of uh, people's Christmases. And we'd love to get your calls, uh, as always, uh, on this. The Werribee Kia open line is open, one 736 736 Werribee Kia, Australia's number one selling Kia dealership. And also, you can always send us a temper text uh, on the temper text machine, a mattress like no other. Zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. I love to get your memories of uh, backyard cricket and, and particularly on Christmas Day and what sort of rules you invoke uh, in your backyard cricket. Is it automatic wicket keeper? Can you go out first ball? Uh, what sort of ball you use? How do you prepare the pitch? Uh, is it one hand, one bounce? So uh, we'll speak to Sam and Ben around about 2.30 this afternoon, but love to get your thoughts before that on some of your traditions and some of your memories uh, from playing uh, backyard cricket. It's an important part of a lot of people's Christmas days and particularly uh, the young kids in the family that take it particularly seriously sometimes. I remember a few of my cousins and myself uh, took it pretty seriously growing up. So I'd love to get your advice or, or your thoughts on some of your memories and uh, some of the rules that should be around uh, backyard cricket. And also we're going to talk to a bit later on uh, in the show, uh, a young man by the name of Thomas Randall. Now he won the Super 2 Series, which is a step down, I guess, or the next series behind the V8 Supercars this year. So that was a great achievement uh, in, it, in itself. But he also did it on the back of being diagnosed with testicular cancer uh, earlier this year. And he's just won a massive award from the BRDC, an award for courage, and sportsmanship, and he shared that with the FIO doctor that helped Roman Grosjean out of that fiery crash uh, a couple of weeks ago. So he's a great talent in the sport, uh, Thomas Randall, hoping to get a break with one of the V8 supercar teams, but uh, that is a fantastic award. So we're going to talk to Thomas uh, about his journey this year, the difficulty of racing a car and uh, battling uh, testicular cancer, just to get an update on his health, what the award means, and uh, what also uh, 2021 uh, might uh, look at look like uh, for him. So uh, Thomas will join us on the show about 1.40 uh, this afternoon. And I'd uh, love to get your thoughts too on uh, father-son or father-daughter or mother-son or mother-daughter uh, combinations in sport. We've seen a couple of examples uh, on the weekend. Shyla Hill, the daughter of Shane Hill, did some amazing things uh, for Townsville in the WNBL uh, this season. I noticed Michelle Timms, uh, said this morning she should be a top three draft pick uh, in the WNBA draft. She's had that good a season. So uh, continuing on the dynasty uh, in the Hill family. And have you seen the pictures on the weekend of Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods's young fella, Charlie, hitting a golf ball? Just 11 years of age. Uh, it's frightening. He puts all of us hack golfers to shame. Some of the shots that he hit uh, on the weekend, his swing is so similar to his famous dad's. Uh, and even some of his mannerisms, the fist pump, uh, and just the way he strides on a golf course, unbelievable stuff from young Charlie Woods uh, on the weekend. They didn't win the Father-Son Challenge 
uh, in the end. It was taken out by Justin Thomas uh, and his uh, father, and uh, head of VJ Singh and his son. But uh, just the excitement of seeing Tiger Woods' boy hit a golf ball and stro- strolling along the fairways uh, with his famous father. I guess a few weeks ago we've been talking about two over in the States the chance that LeBron James will play basketball potentially uh, with his own son or against his own son in a couple of years' time uh, in the NBA. So two of the biggest names uh, in world sport, their sons uh, certainly are following in their footsteps. So uh, we can take your calls on any of those subjects. And also in the Herald Sun today, a really interesting uh, article, uh, and it will continue tomorrow in the Herald Sun when Mark Robinson names his best 22 out of the dynasty teams uh, in the AFL. So really interesting at a time when uh, the competition is, uh, you know, it's all about equalisation. But uh, since the turn of the century, we've already had basically four dynasties. It started with the Brisbane Lions winning the flags in 01, 02 and 03, and then losing the grand final in 04 to Port Adelaide. Then it moved on to the Cats, won 2007, uh, were red-hot favourites in 2008, didn't win, then won 2009 and 2011. Then the Hawks, who won 2008, bounced back a few years later to win three in a row, 13, 14 and 15. And then we've got the current-day Tigers, uh, 2017 Premiers, of course. They've gone back-to-back the last two years, uh, 2019 and 2020. So uh, the guys in the Herald Sun uh, have done their best to try and compare the teams. I'll be interested to get your thoughts on which team you think are the best. I think a lot of people were talking about this through the year and they said maybe on paper the Richmond team in terms of talent doesn't stack up against uh, maybe the other three, but uh, what Richmond do better than most is just an amazing structure, amazing teamwork, uh, amazing buy-in, amazing spirit, and that's played a key role in their three premierships. But in saying that, when you've got Dustin Martin, Jack Rewalt, Alex Rance was there for the first one, uh, Trent Cotchin, Dion Prestia, Shane Edwards, the list goes on. There's a lot of talent uh, in those Richmond teams, but if they're all playing against each other at their best, uh, which one would you pick? Would it be the Brisbane Lions of 01, 02, 03? Would it be the Cats of 07, 09 and 2011? Would it be the Hawks of 13, 14 or 15? Or can you make a case uh, for these current day Tigers? It gets harder to win premierships every year, none more so uh, than this year. Uh, an amazing year for everyone in the AFL, but the Tigers, despite some adversity with some off-field dramas, uh, a few injuries as well, they found a way to win the premiership. So maybe you can make a case uh, for the current day Tigers as well. So join us anytime on the Werribee Kia open line. Call one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Send us a temper text on the temper text machine oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. We're here thanks to Summit Internet. Answer phones from anywhere on any device. And also another topic that's really come up uh, out of the cricket uh, over the weekend has been the quality of this current Australian pace attack and how would you compare it to some of the attacks we've had before. Pat Cummins brought up his 150th wicket on the weekend, just 31 tests at an average of 21.26 for Pat Cummins, a man that also missed five years of test cricket. Now clearly the number one bowler in the world. Uh, The rankings uh, back that up as well. And then you've got Josh Hazelwood who brought up his 200th wicket uh, in that amazing uh, spell that he had uh, on the third morning of the first test, 52 tests at 25.69. And then you've got Mitchell Stark in there as well, 58 tests, 248 wickets, so only a couple of way from the 250-wicket milestone at 26.78. Uh, and then, of course, you've got Nathan Lyon there as well. Uh, he's uh, only three tests away uh, from 100, not too far away from 400 test wickets as well. But how would you compare them to some of the attacks we've had in the past? I guess, I guess you go through the Steve Waugh, that fantastic team he had at times. It was Glenn McGrath, Brett Lee, uh, and Jason Gillespie. You go back to the 70s, it was Jeff Thompson, Dennis Lilly, 
and at times Max Walker, at times Lenny Pascoe, at times uh, Rodney Hogg. So uh, the boys uh, in the mornings were talking about this, uh, Matty White and also Gavin Robinson and also the Brecky boys as well. Interested to get your thoughts too on just how good this current pace attack is and how good Pat Cummins can be, given he's only played the 31 tests and he's also got the... He's already got 150 wickets up on the board. He's now injury-free and uh, bowling as well as he ever has. So plenty to talk about on SEN Afternoons. Get involved on the Werribee Care open line. one 736 736 or send us a text 433 But the first of our guests is not too far away. The Sydney to Hobart, unfortunately, for the first time in its 76th edition, uh, has been cancelled. So not that traditional Boxing Day start. The favourite for the race... Uh, was InfoTrack, and we'll speak to its skipper, Christian Beck, after the break. Welcome back to Afternoons. Julian DeStoop with you until 3 o'clock. Uh, plenty of cricket to speak to when we speak to Adam Collins uh, later on in this hour. But unfortunately, uh, really sad news out of the weekend due to this uh, COVID outbreak in Sydney. It means uh, one of the great traditions around Christmas time, beginning, of course, on Boxing Day, the Sydney to Hobart yacht race has been cancelled for the first time in its 76-year history. Uh, so really sad news uh, for everyone that loves watching it and also, of course, everyone uh, that is involved uh, in the great race. And one man that was getting ready for a huge city to Hobart uh, this year was the skipper of InfoTrack in Christian Beck, who's been good enough uh, to join us on the line. Uh, good afternoon, Christian. Good afternoon, Julian. Uh, I'd love to be chatting to you uh, in better circumstances and just uh, previewing the race, which, of course, was due to get underway on Boxing Day. But just, first of all, take us through uh, your initial reaction when you heard uh, the race had been called off. Well, obviously, we were super upset about it because just a few days before, we were kind of feeling like the luckiest people in the world because the conditions were exceptionally good. It was very, very big winds in the right direction, which suits our boat. And the sort of computer modelling showed us getting down there in record time or a few hours ahead of the record. Um, I've never won the race before, so to win the race and beat the record would be a dream come true. And then all very, very quickly it turned around to firstly not being able to use some of the crew in the northern beaches to very quickly not doing the race at all. So it was, it was devastating, I suppose, from a, from a, for everyone involved. Was it the only decision that could be made in the end when you weigh up all the circumstances? Look, I do respect the decision they've made because when you think about it, um, you know, COVID is such a problem when it gets out. And for Victoria, to, uh, sorry, for Tasmania to sort of let people in, I can understand why they wouldn't want to do that. Um, I think we did think about things like racing down to Hobart and sailing straight back, but then you kind of got risks like someone needs to be rescued. That's pretty dangerous for COVID spreading there. Um, and then they thought about doing a little race down the coast and back from Sydney. But the problem with that is that the sort of New South Wales Premier was saying that no non-essential activities could happen. And obviously, sailing a boat is pretty hard to argue that's essential. So I think that it just... It just got too hard. So I do respect the decision that the government and the, the race, the, the CYC made. What's been the reaction amongst some of the other skippers that you've spoken to? Are most feeling the same way as you? Are, are some more angry about the decision? What's sort of the feeling like amongst uh, some of the skippers in the race? Well, I mean, I, I saw some of them on TV. I haven't spoken to too many of them because I've had a busy time with kids and stuff. But essentially... Um, I mean, there's guys that sail up from Adelaide to do a race. Mm. They'd be devastated. Um, 
I mean, we've spent a lot of money, but we haven't kind of done that sort of fair income sort of commitment at sea that they have. So, I mean, it's it's shattering for everyone, but but what can you do about it? And when you think about it, like if you look at the rest of the world, you know, there's people dying. It's pretty hard to complain too much that you can't race your yacht. Yeah, I did hear one of the skippers say that on the news uh, last night. Also, uh, you mentioned uh, one of the skippers. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but as you said, it literally sailed up from Adelaide, arrives in Sydney, and then the race is cancelled. So, I mean, it's it's, t- it's difficult circumstances, as you mentioned, for everyone. But uh, for some that have to you know, travel so far just to start in the race, that must be particularly frustrating. Yeah, and we've also got – we had – one of our key guys, the, the guy that reruns the boat, Tony Mutter, who came from New Zealand, so now he's got to go back and sit in hotel quarantine for two weeks and could do the race. So there's a lot of people that have put a lot of pain into, well, it caused a lot of pain for no sort of result. Um, so it's, 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 and it's really unfortunate because if it had have happened a few weeks ago, it wouldn't be so bad. And if it, you know, we're only six days out, so if it had a, that outbreak had been a week later, it wouldn't have been a problem. It's just really bad timing, really. Yeah, to get so close to a start is uh, is particularly frustrating. So you mentioned in, in an answer before that you know some alternate races uh, had been considered, but you, you pointed out some of the reasons why they probably wouldn't have worked uh, as well. I was reading Amanda Lullum's article this morning. So what about going forward into the new year? Could there be uh, uh, some other races organised? Where do you think we go from here? Well, I think the Sydney Hobart's a little bit like the Melbourne Cup, you know, like no one really cares about anything but that actual race. Um, so I think that they can do things like that, but whether it will really be the same is questionable. Also, I think that with COVID, um, any sort of movements of people and teams, and these boats are big teams, like we've got 19 on our crew, any, any bring together of these teams of people is actually pretty bad for COVID. So I can't really see anything involving supermaxis happening in a hurry, to be honest. Yeah, just as you were you're answering that, I've just got a text on our temper text machine here saying, why couldn't they delay the Sydney to Hobart until February? But I, I think you sort of summed that up uh, in your answer there. But were, were things like that discussed at all? Well, I'm not on the CYC committee, so I don't know what they actually said. But, but say like it was a Sydney to Hobart in February, I mean, that may be on the cards because you're, you're far enough away where this spike could go away. Um, so I think something like that could work, but it's not really a decision. I think at the moment the decision was whether they cancel this. It doesn't stop a decision like that happening in February, but it would probably have to be something they decide maybe in January once they know how bad this outbreak in Sydney becomes. Yeah, no, it's very as you say, it's very hard to be making decisions uh, right now. As you know, you know, COVID changes day by day, and particularly that's what's happening uh, in Sydney at the moment. Uh, so second in the race last year uh, for Info Track, and all the lead-up form, and as you were saying before, the weather conditions were looking pretty favourable. That uh, you must have been super excited going into this race this year. Yeah, because the boat's been going really well. Like we won the, the three lead-up races to the Hobart, um, and they're in conditions that don't really suit our boat. We're a heavy weather boat, and we were winning in light conditions, so we were super confident about our position. Um, we have been on a great trajectory. We came 24th four years ago, then fourth, then second. So this appeared to be our year. So it is, um, you know, it, it's it's devastating to have happened, really. Um, 
especially, uh, we, as I said, we felt so lucky a few days ago. It just was all coming together. So what's the plan? I guess you had your, your plan mapped out for Boxing Day and a, and a couple of days afterwards. Uh, for you and your crew, what, what, what's the plan now? Well, <laughs> a lot of them, the crew had sort of, you know, like the Tony Mutter is going back to New Zealand. It's sort of one of those things where if you, he has a slot to get back into on the 30th, but if he doesn't go back, he can't go back until April. So movements are very hard these days. So I think that, and, and a lot of us, the rest of in Sydney, I mean, we're just like you guys in Melbourne where a few months ago, you trying to work out what's going to happen with lockdowns, but I think everyone's not sure. <laughs> um, I've certainly got four kids, so I'm, <laughs> You'll be busy. I'm just trying to deal with, deal with them largely at home. <laughs> so I'm not really worrying about much beyond that. No, fair enough too. Yeah, you, you'll have your hands full at uh, exciting time at Christmas, though, of course, uh, with the kids. So I guess we look ahead now to, to 2021, and I guess yourself and the crew and and uh, all the other skippers will just be, I guess, super determined to, to get back in a position to, to have another crack at the race at, at the end of next year. Yeah, I think that next year will be very interesting because obviously COVID should be easier. Um, but I think that, uh, it's like, as I said, it's a little bit like the Melbourne Cup, you know, I don't think no matter what happens, you're not going to get people wanting to win that race and we're certainly the same, we're going to come back and try and win it next year, um, as we have been for the last four years um, and, and I don't think much would stop that happening. I guess as you said before though, with these big events and uh, I guess as you say, you made the analogy there with horse racing in the Melbourne Cup, you you like to time your preparation beautifully. You sound like you'd, you'd done that with the boat and, and obviously the weather conditions we know can change so much for the Sydney to Hobart, but they look good this year. So it's just you're never guaranteed what's going to happen in 12 months' time, I guess. Yeah, I know. I know. I think that the weather makes a big difference with yacht racing and um, I, I've sort of, it depresses me if I look at the weather now because it's <laughs> looking so good. For... Stop looking at <laughs> so it. I've stopped, I've stopped looking at that, but it's super sad and what would be very frustrating if next year it's light winds. <laughs> that would make me super upset. But, but it, sailing, it's just one of those things you've got to kind of make the best of it. Like with COVID, you know, lots of people around the world are forced to scramble to make the best of the situation. That's all we can do, really. Surely after the year we've had in 2020, come next uh, next year for the Sydney Hobart, it'll be beautiful weather, great winds, uh, and uh, we'll get going. We're due, we're due a change of luck after everything that's happened in 2020. I guess for, for everyone involved in the Sydney to Hobart and, and all the skippers like yourself, after such a touch, tough year, you must have been looking forward to finishing the year uh, in style and uh, getting some normality back by uh, you know racing in the biggest race of the year, and uh, then this happened. So I guess... It, in a sort of nutshell, it sums up 2020 and uh, 2020, the year it's been for everyone. For sure, yeah. I mean, I've, I've been relatively lucky in COVID, so and fires and things. So I suppose everyone has their good luck and bad luck. I've been pretty unlucky with this race, but but that's life. And I think that um, you just need to be able to deal with whatever it throws at you these days, I think. Absolutely. Well, Christian, you've got a fantastic attitude towards it. Uh, let's hope in uh, about 12 months' time we'll give you another call and we'll be previewing the race and, and hopefully you've got info track in as good a shape as you had uh, going into this race, which was unfortunately cancelled yesterday. Uh, thank you so much uh, for your time. Have a great Christmas with you, yourself and your family and uh, we look forward, as we say, in 12 months' time to hopefully uh, bigger and better things for yourself and InfoTrack and everyone involved uh, in the city to Hobart. Thanks for your time this afternoon.
Thank you, Julian. I appreciate it. Christian Beck, uh, the skipper of InfoTrack, that was the favourite for the Sydney to Hobart race before it was cancelled due to COVID uh, yesterday. Adam Collins, uh, not too far away. After the break, I'll read out some of your temper text. We'll take some of your calls, but uh, now it's news time. Thank you, Nat. Welcome back to SEN Afternoons. Julian DeStoop with you. Adam Collins, not too far away, part of our SEN uh, cricket commentary team. And also check out his podcast, The Final Word. It's uh, it's fantastic listening uh, for all cricket fans. Uh, and you can hear all the action from the Boxing Day test uh, on the podcast and all the action from the SEN commentary on that remarkable day's cricket or half a day's cricket uh, on Saturday when the Aussies skittled India for 36. It's still hard to believe uh, he is out. They were out for 36. So we'll talk some cricket to Adam Collins and just sum up that first test and also look ahead to Boxing Day and how do the Indians uh, bounce back from here. So Adam, not too far away. Uh, we spoke at the top of the show about some of the topics and one of the interesting topics in the Herald Sun today was the Dynasty Series. Who is the greatest dynasty we've seen in the 21st century in the AFL? Is it the uh, the Lions of 01, 02, 03? Was it the Cats of 07, 09 and 2011? Was it the three-peat Hawks? of 13, 14, 15, or was the modern-day Tigers of 17, uh, 19, and 20. So keen to get your thoughts on who would you would pick. Uh, a few temper texts have come through. The first one saying the Cats team is the greatest ever. Let's not forget it. They're absolute best. They had the match sewed up by half time. That's the 2007 grand final when they won by a record margin of 119 points against Port Adelaide and spent the second half chipping the ball around, building up their stats. This team was just about the All-Australian team. It's not a bad point. They had nine players uh, in the All-Australian team that year, Geelong, which is a record. Of course, uh, they didn't quite get the job done the next year, though, against uh, the Hawks when they were raging favourites. And maybe if they kicked straight uh, in the first half, they might have had that game almost sewed up uh, by half time. But uh, the Hawks beat them uh, on the biggest day of the year, even though they only lost uh, one game uh, for the year. Another one here. Hi, Jules. This is from Dave from Broken Hill. Great topic. All great teams in their own right, and Richmond aren't finished yet. But Brisbane's side was full of class and toughness, and I put them ahead of the Cats just. That was Dave from Broken Hill. Another one here from Mark from Vermont, uh, clearly a Tigers fan. I'm a Richmond supporter, and I think it's hard to split those teams. But a couple of media people said that the 2017 Tigers team was the worst ever to win a flag. Must be pretty bad to win three or four and in between finish easily on top of the ladder in 2018. Go Tigers. That's from Mark from Vermont. Yeah, a little bit harsh to say they were the worst uh, premiership team. Uh, they beat a very good side that year in Adelaide. Not only beat them, uh, but absolutely destroyed them uh, in the grand final. And as you say, they've since proven uh, it's been no fluke since, uh, as you say, they were top of the ladder in 2018. Clearly the best team uh, in the home and away season, but they met a red-hot Collingwood uh, in that prelim final. But uh, they couldn't have bounced back any stronger in 2019 and 2020 by taking home uh, the premiership. A bit more on the cricket too. We just asked exactly how can India bounce back uh, after that humiliating defeat in the first test. Uh, Daryl says they can't come back from this. A 4-0 drubbing coming up. Only won the last series because Smith and Warner weren't there, which is, well, that is true. They didn't play uh, in the series a couple of years ago. They won't win another series for 30 years, says Daryl. I'm assuming he means... Uh, on Australian soil. But, yeah, it's a huge test for India's uh, character, I guess. They've often been accused of uh, not digging in and not getting the job done on the road. They've certainly changed that under Virat Kohli, won that series against Australia a couple of years ago. But without Kohli's leadership, uh, without Mohamed Shami, who's out for the ser- series with a broken arm, uh, it's going to be a really, really tough test 
uh, for India to bounce back. So uh, we'll get more from Adam Collins on that uh, very shortly. Just another text has come through here from Craig uh, talking about our topic about the great uh, premiership teams. The Lions were the best. All those mentions are great, but what doesn't get mentioned is when the Cats and Hawks were dominating, uh, we had the GWS and the Gold Coast compromising the drafts. That's from Craig. And the other interesting part, I guess, from Brisbane is in those three premiership years, they never finished on top of the ladder. Port Adelaide finished top of the ladder 01, and uh, sorry, Essendon finished top of the ladder 01, Port Adelaide 02, and Port Adelaide 03. Uh, so they, they won the flag despite never being the dominant team uh, in the home and away season, and then uh, they couldn't quite get the job done in 2004 after finishing uh, in the top two. So love to get your thoughts on that uh, throughout the afternoon and anything else that you got your mind on uh, in sport. Give us a call on the Werribee Kia open line, one 736 736 Werribee Kia, Australia's number one selling Kia dealership, and always send your temper text through on the temper text machine, 0433 But coming up after the break, we'll chat cricket with Adam Collins. Welcome back to Afternoons. Julian DeStoop with you. Just about to chat to Adam Collins from the SEN commentary team. And, of course, check out his uh, podcast, The Final Word, which you can hear all the action from the Boxing Day test, of course, on SEN uh, from Saturday as well. But uh, Adam's uh, podcast wraps up that test, and it's a fantastic podcast for all uh, cricket fans. So we'll speak to Adam uh, very, very shortly. But uh, Tepper Text points out, a very good point, uh, that Richmond – haven't finished on top of the ladder in their premiership years as well. We're saying before the break how Brisbane won those three flags, uh, but they too uh, had never uh, finished on the top of the ladder in those years. So we're talking about the dynasties, of course, the Hawks, the Lions, the Cats, uh, and the current day Tigers. So I've uh, got Adam Collins uh, with us now. And uh, as we know, Adam's uh, done some fantastic podcasts on footy before, including uh, the one on 1993. He's just dropped out. So we'll get to uh, Adam uh, very, very shortly. But uh, just uh, with some cricket news as well, if you haven't caught up on the news uh, this morning, looks like the Australians will take an unchanged lineup uh, into that test uh, on Boxing Day uh, with Will Pekoski. Still hasn't been batting in the net since uh, that concussion, the ninth concussion that he's had in a combination of his cricket and football career. And uh, David Warner sounds like he's touch and go to be fit. And, of course, the Indians are going to have to make at least two changes for Rat Coley uh, going home and fast bowler Muhammad Shami uh, ruled out of the series uh, with a broken arm. I think we've got Adam uh, with us now. No, not quite. So uh, we'll get to Adam uh, very shortly. He'll give us an update on the fitness uh, of uh, David Warner and also uh, to what he thinks will happen uh, with the uh, Indian uh, lineup. We'll go back to some of your uh, temper texts, and we're talking about this dynasty series. And uh, here's one throwing in another one. It wasn't a dynasty, unfortunately, uh, even though they finished on top three times in a row. That was the Bombers of 99, 2000, and 2001, of course. It hurts me to say it as an Essendon supporter. Carlton spoiled that chance of a flag in 1999. The Bombers bounced back in 2000. They were the best side for the majority uh, 2001 before the Lions just got stronger and stronger and stronger uh, and beat them in the grand final in 2001. So I've got a text here saying, as a Bombers supporter, even though we thrashed the Ds in 2000, in 99 and 2001, we were clearly the best team in the comp. It hurts with the Hawks three-peat and the Cats won three, but for mine, the Lions are number one. And uh, we were talking to earlier about, uh, and we've got another one here, just first of all, on the, uh, the these footy teams would have to be Geelong over a longer period of time, and they're still up there. Yes, they're still up there, but unfortunately for the Cats, despite six prelims in 10 years, a grand final appearance this year, they still haven't added uh, to that 
to uh, their trophy cabinet, uh, the last one being in 2011. And uh, we also asked before about your memories of backyard cricket, some of the rules and what you did. Dave from Hamilton says, like everyone, we did either taped, painted or glued half a tennis ball to get it to swing, but then started to gut cricket balls and put the doctored tennis ball inside and stitch it back up. Nowadays, kids can buy this type of ball. There were always fights because everyone wanted to be the West Indies. I think a lot of families in the 80s and early 90s can relate to that, how things have changed. Now, we're bringing up that topic because we're going to speak to Melbourne Ford. That's right, Melbourne Ford, Sam Wiedemann. Uh, He's involved in some pretty competitive uh, backyard cricket. Uh, It's part of a Cricket Australia initiative uh, as well. But I think we've got Adam Collins uh, on the line with us now. Uh, Adam, great to talk to you again on SEN. Yes. Uh, hello, mates. It's uh, Julian Destu. Great to chat to you again. Now, before we get stuck into the cricket, I'm interested to get your thoughts on this, given uh, you love the footy and you've done some great podcasts on the footy. The article in the Herald Sun today about, uh, I guess, the dynasty teams of the 21st century, your Hawks, the Cats, the Lions and the Tigers. If you had to pick one or bias aside, who do you think has been the greatest of those four four teams? That's a great question. Look, I think I'm always going to be parochial when it comes to Hawthorne. I remember Bruce McAvaney's commentary uh, when we won in 2015 saying the first team of the 18-team in- era to go back to back to back. Yes. And I think that might be uh, what just edges them over the line as they have to do it uh, with 18 teams in the competition. But obviously all brilliant, uh, brilliant sides to watch. And I suppose it depends how far you want to stretch it back. If you want to go back to the 80s, the 88-89 team, especially 1988, um, that Hawthorne side, I think, is very, very tough to beat. I could have just said that down the line to you. <laughs> but we could argue about that forever, Adam. Uh, let's get on to the cricket. A couple of days later, have you still got your head around what happened in that morning session on day three? But Jules, no, is the short answer in some respects. No, it, it, the reality of the situation is that India, everything that could have gone wrong, every time they, they played at a ball that seemed to kiss the outside edge, uh, on a day when the Australian Quicks, Cummins and Hazelwood were perfect. Some days um, you run into a, a bowling group who do nothing wrong. And anyone that watched the way that Cummins and Hazelwood bowled um, firsthand, which we had the great fortune of doing from the commentary position, uh, would, would, would agree with the proposition that they couldn't have done anything better than what they did. And it, it reminded me to an extent of Trent Bridge in 2015 when Stuart Broad um, got hot on that first morning with all to play for at Nottingham in that fourth Ashes Test match. And it seemed like every single time an Australian player wafted the bat, it ended up with Joe Root at second slip. Well, it had a feel to that as well with Tim Payne uh, routinely having chances gifted his way. So I think in terms of the data um, we've seen from Crickbiz, the analytics company, um, that Australia's fast bowlers bowled one metre fuller than India's fast bowlers uh, during the Test match. And that's not to denigrate the, the Indian quicks who, you know, they did a pretty good job. Remember, they did bowl Australia out for 191 the first time around, but maybe that speaks to the fact that the Australian bowlers just read the conditions a little bit better as far as the pitch being quick enough to go a fraction fuller and to get themselves in the game more often. It's interesting you pointed out the Australian score there. I was going to ask you, um, obviously it was a great win for Australia. We're lauding our bowlers and and obviously Tim Payne's innings uh, was so important to that result. But yep. we, did the win and the, the performance of the bowlers still paper over some, some, maybe not large cracks, but some cracks in that Australian batting lineup? Yeah, well, look, I, I, perhaps it's not so much about papering over cracks as much as acknowledging that it wasn't a good performance in the first innings. And Tim Payne said that uh, in his post-game uh, comments uh, to Hutto that, um, that if you're going to uh, be a consistently strong side, you need to make big first-inning scores. 
And we've heard that mantra for a long period of time from the Australian team. They want to perform better in the first innings of test matches. And sure, the mitigating factors here were that it was um, pink ball. A lot of the first innings was under lights. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, I think that um, the fact that those, you know, they, they were using a new opening combination and a makeshift one, let's be honest. I mean, Matthew Wade had never opened in first-class cricket until Saturday. He's 33 years of age. I mean, it's very unusual to have an opening batsman who's never done the job before. And even though he did really nicely in the second dig, in the first innings, it felt as though um, the role he, he and Burns were playing to take the shine off the ball, um, there wasn't a lot of purpose and uh, an attempt to score, if you like. And, uh, and I'm not necessarily being critical of that. They were trying to do a specific job, but maybe it just doesn't tally with the way that Matthew Wade bats naturally. Um, so he was out for eight, as was Joe Burns, which meant that they were starting from a relatively modest base and, occasionally Steve Smith won't come off and they bowled so well to him. To Coley's immense credit, the, the 4-5 field they set to Smith with five on the leg side, can you imagine that? I mean, if you think about, um, you know, the best batsman in the world right now and having five out on the leg side, they employed the same field to Marnus Labuschagne, who was very lucky not to be caught in the leg side trap before dinner when he was dropped at long legs. So Coley came to Australia with very specific plans for Smith and Labuschagne and it came off when bowling to Smith in the first innings and, and nearly came off with Labuschagne if their fielders had supported the captain and the bowlers. So 191, in some respects, flattered Australia. Um, and Tim Payne, I mean, you made the point in your question there, an unbeaten 73. Uh, look, Tim Payne gets a, a lot of criticism for his batting over time, especially the fact that he hasn't made bulk uh, first-class hundreds indeed, hasn't made a test hundred. But his batting average is now higher than Brad Haddon's. Now, I'm not, again, that's not a... And that's not trying to say that Tim Payne's a better player than Brad Haddon. It's just simply making the point that as far as consistency is concerned, Payne actually has been quite a useful and reliable and dependable contributor at number seven. He's not been a match winner with the bat like Adam Gilchrist, but he does play a role. And on days like Saturday, that's when you want Tim Payne walking in because invariably his most important contributions with the bat in test cricket have been when Australia's in trouble. Yep. So, yeah, sure, he, he may not cash in the way Gilchrist would in that marvellous Australian side of the late 90s and early 2000s. But th those were conditions that were really well suited for Tim Payne, a gritty innings and, and a crucial one. Obviously, there'll be a lot of focus on India's batting after only making 36, and we know they're going to make some changes. They have to make at least one to their batting lineup with Virat Kohli going home. But it's been mentioned a couple of times from callers and uh, I heard Gavin Robinson talking about it earlier today. But what was going on with India's fielding? I mean, how costly was that in the, in the wash-up of the match? That Some of the easy catches yeah. and just the general fielding from, from the team in general. Yeah, I suppose we started this conversation talking about footy and that on three occasions we saw drop catches with two feet off the ground as though they were trying to take a grab at the end of the lead, uh, which technically is curious. I mean, the drop from Prippen Shaw, uh, you know, he would take that catch. You'd think a professional cricketer would take that catch 99 times out of 100. It was just one of those bizarre moments uh, in, in a really crazy session, uh, a skittish uh, uh, fielding performance at best. But yeah, I'll I just balance out... Uh, in. I suppose we're conditioned to saying that India aren't a good fielding team, but under Kohli, they have been. Mm. I've watched a lot of India over the last three or four years while he's been captain uh, around the world, and their fielding has improved out of sight in the last four or five years, I suppose I would say. Um, but that's why it was so surprising and why it was so stark. We're not used to seeing them play that way at the moment under Kohli. He's got them well drilled. Certainly, you think back to the 2007 St. Borda-Gavaska series. That was a series that was tight all the way through to the fourth test match and in a way it was defined by how well India fielded over there and that was also reflected in 2018-19 when they came over here. They were brilliant in the field, especially behind the wicket. So 
it was an outlier, but what a terrible time to have a stinking day in the field. If they knock over Australia for 120 or 130, which is probably what they should have done, uh, then, look, I mean, sure, yes, they're all out for 36, but the atmospherics, put it that way, would have been very different uh, on that third day. Two-part question. What, what do you expect India to do with their lineup ahead of the, ahead of the second test? And now that Coley's not here, such a great player, we know, but such an influential leader, uh, a fighter, uh, and, and the spirit that he brings into that team... Are you confident India will bounce back or do you have real concerns that uh, what happened in that first test really going to knock them around? I'm concerned, uh, very concerned from a competitive balance perspective because we've seen, and not just with India, but lots of touring sides, if they, if they get towed up in the first test, and look, usually that's at the Gabba, right? So we see teams come to the Gabba, copper hiding in the first test and they struggle to regroup uh, with a quick turnaround for the second test match, which it will be, of course, with Boxing Day just four days away from now. So that is concerning. Brad Coley, I mean, it's hard to overstate how important he is to that team, not just as the, the best batsman they've got by you know the length of the straight, but also the fact that the team is very much in his image. Uh, Coley is the embodiment of Indian cricket at the moment, and that's a great thing for them. Uh, they're ferocious under him. Uh, Ajinka Rahane is going to be the captain. That's no critique of him. He captained the side fabulously at Durham Shala in 2017 in a, in a must-win test match against Australia to win the trophy on that occasion. But he's not Brad Coley um, as a batsman nor as a leader. So that is going to be a, a very big piece of the puzzle which they can't replace. Shubham Gill is a fine young player. Um, I'm glad he's making his test debut. It's going to be very exciting to see him coming to the 11. I expect they'll retain Shaw on the basis that you don't really want to make two changes to the top six after one failure. Uh, look, Shaw didn't look good in either innings. There's no there's no papering over that and the drop catch we've already reflected upon. But um, over time, he's been uh, a player they've been investing in and I'm, and I'm sure they'll stick with him at the top of the order for the short term. But then you've got Muhammad Chami. Um, we've had confirmed now that he'll be out of the test series with that knocking to the arm. So they've got other young bowlers who can come in, not least Muhammad Siraj, who they've been talking about for a long period of time. But... He's not Muhammad Shami. So the big loss, combined with Coley, combined with uh, a debutant coming in in Shubham Gill and Shami leaving the side for probably Muhammad Siraj, that is a lot of instability when you've only got, what is it, four days until the next test match, when they've just been towed up. I, I think that's, that's ominous. Yep, and it looks like Australia's going to go in with an unchanged team. Adam, great to catch up again. We look forward to hearing your work with the SEN commentary team uh, starting on Boxing Day. Thanks, Jules. Have a good day. And, of course, you can check out Adam's podcast, The Final Word, and hear all the action from the Boxing Day test right here on SEN from Saturday. We'll take a break, and we'll have more on Afternoons coming up. Dr. Wayne Russell today, Julian DeStoop uh, filling in. Plenty more to come after 1 o'clock. We're going to speak to Sam Wiedemann, the young demon, about backyard cricket of all things. Uh, Thomas Randall, a young motor racing driver, doing some big things and just won a major international. We're going to touch base with Michelangelo Rucci. wrote a really interesting article about Andrew McLeod's uh, fallout uh, with the Adelaide Crows. We'll also chat to him about the situation with Tyson Stengel and get his thoughts on the great teams of the modern era. Welcome back to SEN Afternoons. Julian DeStoop with you until 3 o'clock. 
so great to have your company. Uh, get involved as always at any time. The Werribee Kia open line, one 736 736 Werribee Kia, Australia's number one selling Kia dealership. And you can always send us a temper text on the temper text machine, 0433-981116. Temper, a mattress like no other. And we're here thanks to Summit Internet. Answer phones from anywhere on any device. Now, we're going to turn our attention uh, to some AFL. Uh, footy never stops, and particularly... Uh, there's been a couple of off-field dramas uh, that have affected the Richmond Footy Club in the last 24 hours uh, with Sydney Stack allegedly uh, breaking COVID rules again. And we've had the dramas with Tyson Stengel uh, over in Adelaide. And we're going to cross over to Michael Angelo Rucci, a big part of the SENSA team. And he's uh, had an exclusive chat with Andrew McLeod. This has been a story that's been bubbling away in Adelaide for quite some time. I guess he's growing disenchantment with the footy club that uh, he played the most games for. Arguably the greatest crow of all time. Some might say Mark Rusciuto, but plenty would think uh, the dual uh, Norm Smith medalist uh, is that man. Uh, and Michael Angelo has been good enough uh, to join us uh, over from Adelaide. G'day, Michael. Michael Angelo. Hello, Jules. Merry Christmas to you and a happy new year. Let's hope 2021 yeah. is everything that 2020 wasn't. Exactly. Let's mm. hope we get some uh, crowds back to the footy and we can get back to some normality next year. Really interesting uh, piece you've done uh, with Andrew McLeod, uh, one of the first lines uh, in the piece says he says his relationship with senior figures inside the Adelaide Football Club is untenable. So just why is this relationship broken down so much to the point that it, where it is right now? Well, I won't be an official spokesman for Andrew McLeod, but having spoken with him, you can understand that he no longer recognises his football club as the football club where he played 340 games, where he then went on to serve in Indigenous programs and as an AFLW assistant coach. But it's not an unusual theme that's been around with what I call the old guard or the senators of the Adelaide Football Club, where they just don't recognise the place as what it should be. Now, bear in mind, Andrew McLeod was part of that very important group in the mid-90s just before Malcolm Blight arrived to create his miracle as the Messiah, where Adelaide struggled to have an image in the sense of what did it actually stand for. There were the cheap shots that would come from certain parts of Adelaide where they were known as the Chardonnay set or a club with no heart and soul. Well, that changed certainly under Blight. You win two premierships, you begin to stand for something. And, and that built certainly with Neil Craig. Whatever was put on the agenda by, by Malcolm Blight, was certainly built into a strong foundation by the Neil Craig era, which went on for a decade. But there are people such as Andrew McLeod and the old guard who were there from the 90s to the 2000 decade where they don't feel the footy club represents what they built anymore. So, you know, it's a line of commercially strong but culturally weak. And in the end... Andrew McLeod has decided he just doesn't want to be in an environment where he doesn't feel comfortable or doesn't recognise his footy club. So he stepped away in the hope that what we've seen pretty well in the last six months, a fair few other people have spoken out about what Adelaide actually is. Usually that happens when a club finishes last. People start to ask some questions about mm. culture, leadership, all that sort of stuff. You can probably cover it up when you're playing in a grand final like they did in 17, but there were still even cracks then. You remember when Phil Walsh came in at the Adelaide Footy Club as their coach in 2015. When his first press conference, he declared he wanted to build an authentic football club. I still sort of try to work out what he meant by that. We'll never know from Phil, sadly, because of his death. But why would he put on the agenda that it needed to be an authentic football club? And then five years later, we've got 
key figures in the history and culture of that football club, such as Andrew McLeod, walking out of the place saying, I don't feel comfortable here and I don't recognise my football club. So when he says culturally weak, what sort of things uh, is he referring to there? Either they just don't do things in the way in which that football club was through the 90s and 2000s, where it actually stood true to its themes of being, you know, for its members, for its fans, for its people, for the city of Adelaide. Um, that certainly changed with Don Pike. Don Pike never, as a coach, understood that he wasn't just coaching 44 Adelaide Football Club players. He was actually coach of a city, if not a state. I've, I've always said the Premier of South Australia has nothing on what the coach of the Adelaide Football Club for determining the emotions of those who barrack for the Crows and even those who don't. I mean, there's a, a pretty strong Port Adelaide crew in town too that get emotionally worked over by what happens along that great divide between Adelaide and Port Adelaide. Now, Don Pike just wanted to be a footy club coach. He didn't actually understand that he was also having to be a coach for a state and its people. So there's, there's something very different about the Adelaide that was of the 90s and 2000s, particularly in the past five years. I would imagine most rank-and-file Crow supporters would side with Andrew McLeod a lot on this one. Uh, there's obviously a couple of players that he played with, Mark Rusciuto and Rod Jamison, have some pretty important roles at that football mm. club, and they've spoken about Andrew's views before. What about some of his other teammates from that era? Do they feel similarly? Oh, well, Andrew says he's had contact from many uh, former players, and uh, I'll give a bit away that over the weekend I had some calls from some people who actually are old Adelaide Football Club servants who actually wanted his current um, contact details because they wanted to send messages of support because they felt that they've had a disconnect with their football club as well, which is probably proven by the fact that these people are all scattered. I mean, there's, there's clearly issues that have emerged in the past year, which has then led to John Olsen, the former state premier, becoming chairman at a time when we saw not only a footy team was divided in three groups by the end of the 17 grand final, but this football club also was becoming divided as well by those on the inside, such as Mark Rashida and Rod Jamison going down a certain path and those on the outside who have played big parts at Adelaide believing that it needs to get back to its core values, which are about its people and about its state. How aware of these issues do you think well, the new coach, still pretty new coach, Matthew Nix is? No, I can't, I can't speak for Matthew Nix. I mean, he's got an enormous job as it is, just trying to rebuild a, a footy team that's gone to levels never before seen with Adelaide. Now, he's probably caught in a bubble dealing with, you know, 44 footballers. Does he need to get concerned about, you know, membership drives and what people are saying on the feedback, particularly, you know, key stakeholders outside his footy team? Probably got enough on his plate without needing to absorb that one, but he would be, he'd be pretty much aware of the chatter that goes around town and he would certainly be aware of what has been said for the last six months. Andrew McLeod started down this path mm. when he had his own podcast in in June because that's where he felt he could speak and, and just speak freely and he did twice. He doubled down after the first uh, point about how he didn't feel comfortable at his football club. It, it would be impossible for Matthew Nix not to be aware of it. But he's, as I say, he's got bigger priorities. And this sort of stuff falls into the lap of other people at that footy club. Even even with the COVID cuts that have been at Adelaide, there are still some pretty important people who need to be aware of what their footy club stands for.
You're seeing, in, I mean, obviously it's it's taken a big hit the last few years, the Adelaide Footy Club, ever since really they lost that 2017 grand final. Not much has gone right. Are you seeing improvements there, whether it's culturally, um, you know, under Matthew Nix, with the sort of, the, I guess, the spirit of the place? What have you observed in Matthew Nix's first 12 months? Are you seeing things go in the right direction? Even though they did finish bottom of the ladder, but do you, do you see things moving in the right direction? Uh, that's a that's a long road for Matthew Nix, and, and I hope he doesn't become one of these coaches, and there's a, a, a long list of them in VFL, AFL, Sample, Waffle, where club is on its knees, a young coach, first-time coach comes in, just wears himself out over the first two years, and clubs become impatient and then want to go with a, a finishing coach. That's always the risk Matthew Nix faces. We've seen it pretty well in so many clubs in recent times. Uh, The real challenge to change the football club itself stands with John Olsen as their new chairman. Now, bear in mind, he's not there for a long time. He's not going to be a nine, ten-year club chairman. He's probably there for four years max. He's spent a lot of time since October getting one-on-one, face-to-face with key people inside and outside the footy club. His due diligence could not be better in terms of understanding where the footy club was, what it has become, what it needs to be. And I would expect by February there will be some significant changes in key roles at the Adelaide Football Club as he sets a new agenda and a new a new feel for a football club that uh, is very, very different to the one we knew a decade ago and certainly 20 years ago when Malcolm Blight was making something pretty significant of the place. Which roles do you think could change? I, I've, I've been saying for some time, I don't think the Chief Executive, Andrew Fagan, can survive what has been a very, very interesting 12 months of whereby leadership has been questioned at Adelaide and just what he has done to this football club. And there's some pretty senior people who will say that in his time, he has certainly made Adelaide as a football club commercially stronger. Uh, the balance sheet has never read better pre-COVID, but culturally they are weaker uh, by this determination to be a, a business rather than in the business of football. So I know that the Jason Dunstall report that was done at the end of last year brought up some issues about uh, the way Andrew Fagan's gone about things at the Adelaide Footy Club, and I'm more than sure from the feedback that John Olsen's been getting, that there's going to be more questions asked of Andrew Fagan. I'm not sure that it probably is a moment that leads to much longer time or tenure for him at West Lakes. Yeah, it's interesting, the role of Andrew Fagan and, and what happens there. Another interesting story certainly is Tyson Stengel. Mm. How are they going to play this, the Adelaide Crows? Is it three strikes and you're out for Tyson? Well, no, I don't think they get to play it at all. Are you... You'll probably find as much as the AFL would like to get in control of it with the AFL Integrity Unit, the biggest player in here is the AFL Players Association. The Players Union will be dealing with this as a you know, part of their illicit drug welfare policy rather than drug policy. They, I couldn't imagine that they would allow when there's no test involved here, but just a photograph which leads to some conclusions rather than some clear-cut evidence where they'll go pretty much into bat that Tyson Stengel is going through a difficult period. Uh, should have been in stronger rehab probably after being stopped by police in that moment that involved Brad Crouch. Mm. Um, you know what the AFLPA is like on this on this phase of illicit drugs. They have a welfare policy. They do not have 
you know, a punishment system there in place that it is the strikes and there you go. We all know about how when the strikes come in, you're into rehab and they're about actually, you know, let's use the term, cleaning you up. They're not about throwing you out. So I don't think Adelaide has yeah, it's a good point. the final say on this one. They, It becomes, again, another negotiated um, settlement in terms of what Tyson Stengel will face. But the reality of his position at Adelaide is you're right. There are three strikes for, you know, drink driving, uh, the Hindley Street moment with Brad Crouch, and now this one with a photograph that suggests, and as a stress, suggests that he's been using illicit drugs again. You know, in the old simple system whereby the club makes all the decision, you could argue three strikes, you're out. But you've got an AFLPA that's going to be pretty much into bat for him, that it's rehab and give him, give him the opportunity to complete, you know, his dream of being an AFL footballer. That's where it lies. Rooch, uh, Tim from North Haven has called through, and uh, he's a Crows fan, and he'd love to ask you a question. Uh, g'day, Tim. Uh, far away, Rooch is all ears. G'day, Jules. Thank you. G'day, Rooch. Hi, Tim. Um, so, Rooch, uh, you are much maligned in the halls and the gallows of the Adelaide Footy Club, as I'm sure I don't have to tell you, mate, but I appreciate you, I guess, your honesty on this, especially with Bungie McLeod. Um, mate, I, I've been, um, I guess, uh, frustrated with the footy club for, for at least the last 18 months, just probably more off-field than on-field because I, I firmly believe the, uh, the off-field is, is directly affecting some of the on-field, um, you know, uh, I guess, games and the way they play, their styles, their attitudes. Um, I guess the big thing for me is um, I had to make a call this year. I had to make one last year and I decided to continue with the club as a member, as a, as a financial member, um, three memberships for myself, uh, the better half and my son. Um, the opportunity again arose this year and I firmly said no way um, with absolutely no hesitation at all just based on what's been going on. I won't rehash it, you've gone over most of it, Roach, but certainly when it comes to things like the Stengel situation, I said at, at, at the second option he should have been let go at that stage, certainly support him outside of the club, but um, we don't want him around our young brigade. Um, now we've gone to stage three. And here we are again. We're back in the same boat. For me, that was the opportunity for the club to prove to its members um, that it's about community. And again, as you've mentioned a couple of times, mate, it's no longer community. This is a corporate entity, and that's all it is. And until that changes, uh, I and I reckon there's about a dozen of us that, that proudly go on the hill every uh, Friday or Saturday night, Roach, and have a few frothies and, you know, cheer the club home. Um, none of these boys are renewed either. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. We're not the only ones. But um, it's frustrating. It's annoying. Um, you know, we've got no home base. Nowhere for us people to go and have a beer and celebrate our wins. And, you know, so there's a bunch of things there that you've written. There's a bunch of other things there that you probably haven't written that are, that are true with this club. It's, it's turning into a corporate entity and it's lost its community focus. It's not a team for South Australians for me. It's a team for Rusciuto. It's a team for Fagan and their mates. And I don't even know whether I'm going to have the heart or, or, or the energy to support them come the next season. That's that's how much I feel, um, I guess, you know, left out by the club as, as, as a former paid member. I just wanted to express that from a, you know, from a member out at North Haven. And you know North Haven there, Roach. I'm, I'm smacking them into Port Adelaide Territory. So if you don't reckon I'm getting a few people saying come across to the dark side every day. Actually, it's the bright side, Tim. <laughs> The dark side has become a shadow somewhere else. Can't say any more than that, can you? I mean, Tim summed it up as, as what a Crows fan member 
feels at the moment. So Andrew McLeod's points are well made then. Yeah, not much uh, I can add to that. No, I was going to say that's uh, that's pretty raw from Tim, and uh, I'm sure, as he said, he's not the Adelaide, the only Adelaide Crows fans uh, feeling that way. Uh, Roach, thank you so much for your time. Great piece with Andrew McLeod. Uh, have you. a great Christmas. And uh, yeah, I only wish I was over the other the side year. of the world enjoying your family's special biscuits at my local supermarket up in the mountains. Uh, the Destroopers. I yes. wish they were my family's uh, Roach. <laughs> we we uh, might just retire on the on the assets of the Destroopers, but. Uh, yeah, they're not a bad they're not a bad biscuit, but unfortunately I can't claim them as my own. Merry Christmas then. You too. We'll chat in twenty twenty one. Great Good to have it. Michelangelo Rucci with he, with us, a big part of SEN SA Drive. We'll take a break here on afternoons. Uh, plenty more to come. Thomas Randall, uh, a young star in the world of motor racing, not too far away. Uh, it's not the pipe today. It's uh, Julian De Stoop filling in. Dwayne having a much earned break. Uh, over the Christmas and New Year period. Just uh, continuing on the AFL theme, a message through from the AFL that the fixture uh, will be released uh, later on today. That'll be 3 o'clock uh, Melbourne time. Travis Old, uh, the General Manager of Clubs and Broadcasting, will be available uh, to the media to go through the 2021 fixture. Now, we know the Round 1 fixture was uh, leaked. It always seems to get leaked to the Herald Sun uh, at this time of the year before the fixture announcement and uh, a couple of juicy matchups as expected uh, Richmond and Carlton to open the season and what an amazing coincidence that Collingwood and the Bulldogs will play in the first Friday night match of the season. Uh, of course Adam Trelaw coming up, well hopefully he's fit uh, coming up against the Magpies for the first time. Actually it's about the fourth time in the last decade Collingwood and the Bulldogs have uh, played round one. They played round one uh, this year, when Collingwood uh, smacked the Bulldogs uh, at Marvel Stadium, remember uh, in 2017, uh, it was a pretty interesting match first up when Travis Cloak played against Collingwood for his first game uh, as a Western Bulldog. So we'll get the full fixture later today. A little bit different, though, uh, to previous years. So the first six rounds will be as we normally get in terms of uh, the venue, the the time, the day of the match. Uh, but from round seven onwards, it's going to be more of a flexible fixture. So you'll get your, your full team's... 22-round uh, fixture, but uh, from round six onwards, uh, in terms of the day and the time slot uh, that it will be played, that will be up in the air. So I'm sure for the drive boys uh, coming home, uh, Anthony Hudson and Damien Fleming, there'll be plenty of uh, talk back on your team's uh, fixture. And uh, we know round one, and uh, but we'll get to uh, round six in terms of uh, the exact fixture, and then it's a little bit more floating uh, from round seven onwards. Also some good news uh, for Australia uh, in the surfing world. Uh, Tyler Wright, the two-time world champion has, has won the opening to the season, the Maori Pro, and becomes world number one again. Now, of course, the final was moved to Pipeline. The first time in history the women's tour has been held at the iconic Hawaii break. So a great start to the year uh, for Tyler Wright uh, in the surfing world. Before we get to the news, uh, just a couple of others uh, off the temper text machine. Uh, we've been talking about uh, these eras and, and great teams we've had in the 21st century in the AFL. The uh, the Brisbane Lions that won three in a row, the Hawks that won three in a row, the Cats that won three out of four, and the modern-day Tigers that have won Three out of four, and uh, potentially uh, they haven't finished yet. Uh, got a text here from Jim. If it's the Jim, I know it's a very, very passionate Hawks supporter. Hawks won four under Clarko. The rest three, so the Hawks win. Of course, the Hawks won in 2008 before falling away in 09, missing the finals. Going out in the first round of the finals in 10. 2011, they lost that uh, heartbreaking uh, prelim final to the Pies after a late goal from Luke Ball. Lost the grand final in 2012 in a close one to the Swans before bouncing back with three in a row, 13, 14 and 15. And just one 
here on the cricket. We were talking to Adam Collins a little bit earlier about uh, how will the Australian, or sorry, the Indians bounce back from that humiliation all out for 36 uh, in the second innings over there in Adelaide. Uh, Christian Batemans Bay is a great contributor uh, to all the SEN shows, says, forget England. India is now the team I love to beat the most. I can't stand the way the BCCI hold the rest of the cricket world to ransom over every little thing. Skittling them for under 40 made my heart sing. So Chris in Batemans Bay certainly enjoyed that first session over at Adelaide Oval uh, on Saturday. And, uh, well, the fact is we got them playing a pink ball test, which was probably something we wouldn't think we'd be able to do uh, with India. And obviously they'll be far more comfortable going back to the MCG uh, Red Ball. Uh, they won the test match uh, at the MCG a couple of years ago. And certainly the conditions uh, at the MCG uh, should suit them better than the uh, the pink ball test uh, over in Adelaide. But of course they lose Virat Kohli. They lose Mohamed Shami through injury. Uh, and they're set to make a couple of more changes as well. The Indians are four Uh, that second test. So coming up on the show, still plenty more uh, this afternoon. Thomas Randall uh, will join us. A great story from the world of motorsport. Not only a a champion in his class this year, but also won a very significant uh, international award for courage and sportsmanship that was announced uh, over the weekend. Then we'll chat some backyard cricket with Sam Wiedemann. That's right, the Melbourne Ford Sam Wiedemann and another man that works at the Demons, uh, Ben Gitson. They play Vermont Backyard Cricket. It's part of a Cricket Australia initiative and uh, it's very popular and uh, it's encouraging everyone to get out there after a tough year and uh, play some cricket. It doesn't discriminate. You don't have to be any good. Uh, you can be any age, but you can play some backyard cricket uh, over cricket uh, over Christmas, sorry, like uh, we all do. So uh, we'll be joined by Sam and Ben around about 2.30 this afternoon. Thomas Randall, not too far away, but let's check in with the SEN Newsroom with Nat Yeanides. Thank you, Nat. As we mentioned off the top of the show, it was quite a remarkable weekend in sport, both locally and internationally with what happened in the cricket. Unfortunately, the Sydney to Hobart uh, being cancelled. Uh, the WNBL season came to a conclusion yesterday with the Southside Flyers uh, beating Townsville uh, in the grand final. Overseas as well, we touched on Tiger Woods' young boy, Charlie Woods, uh, playing some remarkable golf uh, for an 11-year-old at the Father-Son Challenge. And also in the English Premier League, an amazing weekend in the English Premier League with Liverpool putting seven uh, past Crystal Palace on Saturday night, our time. If you haven't, uh, or not up with the results overnight, another pretty remarkable uh, series of results. Manchester United defeated Leeds 6-2. This is a Leeds team a couple of nights earlier that put five goals uh, past uh, Newcastle. Tottenham lost their second game in a week. They went home two, down 2-0 at home to Leicester City. Aston Villa uh, won 3-0 at West Brom. And uh, two of the strugglers, Brighton and Sheffield United, played out a 1-1 draw. So Liverpool now four points clear at the top of the table from Leicester. Manchester United up to third. Everton fourth. Tottenham down to fifth. And then you've got Southampton, Manchester City, and also Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea in action uh, tomorrow morning. So some remarkable results and some high-scoring games uh, in the English Premier League overnight. Still getting plenty of temper texts. Uh, coming through on the uh, our discussion about the great eras in the 21st century of AFL uh, football. If you want to join the temper text line, 0433 98 uh, 11 16. Always available too on the Werribee Kia open line. Call 1300 736 736. Werribee Kia, Australia's number one selling Kia dealership. Uh, we've got one here saying, uh, so of course we're comparing the Lions the three-peat Lions, the three-peat Hawks, the three out of four for the Cats and the modern-day Tigers. Hawks, Cats, 
compromised comp due to Suns and Giants early draft picks. The Lions the best, but the Tigers aren't finished. That's the view of one of our temper texters. So keen to get your thoughts on that. Uh, for the rest of the afternoon, as we mentioned, Thomas Randall, uh, not too far away. He'll join us after the break. A great story. There's been a lot of, I guess, negative stories uh, in 2020. But here's a young man making his way in the world of motor racing that uh, is not only had to put up with the challenges of COVID this year, but also a significant health scare when he was diagnosed uh, with testicular cancer at the start of the year. He overcame all that to win uh, the Super 2 Series, which has been won by some of the greats of V8s, uh, including the uh, the champion Scott McLaughlin, uh, Cam Waters, and also Mark Winterbottom have all won that title before going on uh, to make their names in V8 supercar racing. And for his efforts and his courage and his sport and sportsmanship, Thomas Randall won a significant award, an overseas award from the BRDC. So we'll talk to Thomas about that on the other other side of the break. Remember to Demon Sam Wiedemann, uh, not too far away. You're listening to SEN Afternoons with Julian DeStoop. Not Dwayne Russell today. Julian DeStoop uh, filling in. Great to have you company on SEN Afternoons. Now, there's been a lot of negativity in 2020. It's been a tough year. Uh, for a lot of people. One of those is uh, Super 2 Series uh, champion uh, Thomas Randall in the world of motorsport. A very tough year for him, uh, not only just battling COVID, but something far more significant, a serious uh, health scare. And uh, But he's finished the year on a high, winning a very significant uh, international award for courage and sportsmanship. And he shared that with the FIA doctor that helped Roman Grosjean in that Grosjean in that shocking, fiery crash he had uh, a couple of weeks ago. And Thomas has been good enough to join us on the line. Afternoon, Thomas. Afternoon, Jules. Thanks for having me on the line. Pleasure. I read this story from uh, a good friend of mine, Tim Hodges, in the Herald Sun yesterday, who a lot of people might know as the producer of AFL 360, but he's a great uh, motorsport man as well. And uh, what a fantastic story it is. First of all, just take us through uh, how you heard about winning the award, uh, what the award's all about. And uh, I believe you had... uh, someone very significant in the world of motorsport, uh, contact you about it. Yeah, I did. Yeah, look, uh, first of all, it, I, I've been part of the, uh, the British Racing Drivers Club Rising Star Program for the last four years. And, uh, yeah, I got an email <laughs> on uh, Saturday morning from David Coulthard, who's the president of the BRDC. And I guess it's not often you get a, an email from him, but, uh, yeah, it, it was a letter congratulating me on uh, winning the Innes Island Award. And, and this year, I'm, I'm sharing it with Dr. Ian Roberts, like you touched on, who helped save Roman Grosjean's life. And the trophy is awarded to the driver, a driver who best displays the qualities of courage and sport, sportsmanship, which was epitomised by the late Innes Island. And he used to be also uh, the president of the club up until his untimely passing in 1993. So uh, there's been some famous winners in the past of the award or recipients. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo's won the award, Mark Webber, Alex Zanardi. So, um, yeah, <laughs> definitely in some good company there. Amazing company. We'll, we'll talk about uh, the year you've had and, and, and the battle you've had from a health perspective in a second. But what does it mean to you to win an award that's internationally recognised and you just went through some of the names that have won it before? Well, what was your sort of initial thought when you heard you'd won it? Oh, well, <laughs> I was speechless, to be honest. I mean... I've seen the list of, of uh, recipients prior to myself, and yeah, they, they certainly just don't, don't hand these out on a you know uh, every day. So um, yeah, I'm blown away, and it, it's just fantastic to be you know recognised, and I guess that they've seen what what I've had to go through over the last 12 months, and then also aside from that, to be able to achieve winning the title in in Super Two. So yeah, it's a phenomenal honour, and I'm incredibly humbled to have received it. So. 
looking forward to receiving a memento in the mail. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the trophy will forever have my name engraved on it now in, in the BRDC Clubhouse, which is based at the Silverstone Circuit in the UK. So, yeah, really, really grateful. Yeah, what an honour that is. And so we'll, we'll talk about the battle that you've had, and you were diagnosed with, with testicular cancer. And we've seen a, a couple of other young sportsmen in recent years uh, from a football perspective, where Sam Doherty was announced not long ago, uh, the same thing. Uh, Jesse Hogan, the now GWS Giants forward, uh, similar. So just take us through how this all came about and how it came to be di- that you were diagnosed with testicular cancer. Well, it actually was through motor racing. I, uh, so we have a, a five-point harness in the race car, not, not just like a standard seatbelt like in your own car and uh, for, for guys, sometimes the belt or the buckle down down below in, the, in your manly region can get caught. And uh, at my final Super 2 round back in Newcastle 2019, uh, the belt got a bit caught and it was quite painful, but normally the pain goes away and this time it didn't really go away. And I sort of left it for a month because, you know, as a young guy and especially someone who races race cars, we all think we're invincible and I just figured it, it would go away like, you know, any other issue I've ever had. Um, you know, I, I sort of played the, the young guy um, athlete card and figured that, you know, she'll be right. And it uh, turns out sometimes it's not right. <laughs> so I ended up yeah, going to the doctors and um, they, they sort of yeah, referred me to an ultrasound. And after that is when they said, yeah, look, we're, we think uh, you need to have uh, have an operation um, because they suspected it was a testicular tumour. And yeah, sure enough, about a week after the operation, it was yeah confirmed that was uh, testicular cancer but look I think one thing it's taught me is that it's uh it's not a death sentence and you can still go on to do really good things and hopefully it can help inspire some other young guys and girls out there that are going through similar or, or worse battles with uh with with the health we we read and we hear from people that have survived cancer or, or are battling cancer when they hear that word cancer from the doctor it's like their whole world stops and they, you know, they just can't think clearly. What, what was going through your mind when you heard the word cancer? <laughs> Disbelief. I think it was, uh, yeah, just uh, uh, de- denial. I think I, I was pretty shocked. And I mean, like you said, everyone, whenever you hear the C word, it's just natural to, to be shocked. I mean, it was kind of like, right, how long have I got left to live? I, you know, that's kind of your first thought. And I mean, I had no knowledge of testicular cancer, but but I have so much more knowledge now. And I mean. I always want to be in control of any situation. That's kind of like any racing driver. So I'm you know, just trying to study up on all the different you know, treatments and what it is. And it turns out it's actually one of the most curable cancers there is if it's found early on. But I mean, you know, there's some great stories like Lance Armstrong had testicular cancer and he, he had stage four and he went on to win uh, a few Tour de France's post uh, having cancer. So, I mean, yeah, I'm, Initially, it was it was a shock, but now it's yeah, I understand it a lot more now, and yeah, it's like I said, it's not a death sentence. Before we get uh, stuck into your work behind the wheel this year and, and what it looks like for you going forward, so more importantly, far more importantly, how's the health now, and uh, what do you have to do to sort of monitor it from here on in? Uh, yeah, the health's good now. Um, I, we just have to monitor it with. Uh, blood tests and and CT scans and you're not technically cleared until five years after that because if it doesn't come back well if it doesn't come back within the first two years the chance of it coming back are very low and if it were to come back um, after that then you you just have to do further treatment um, however yeah I think we'll be looking pretty good so fingers crossed that uh, 
yeah, it all stays stays good. But like I said, it, it's it's highly curable. So, um, you know, I think there's going to be some, someone else is going to kill me, not not this. So I'm uh, I'm confident about that. <laughs> <laughs> and you you did have some chemotherapy. Uh yeah, yeah, that was um throughout the through the year. So, I'm uh, but I'm like I said, I'm looking looking to the into the future now and already focused on the 2021 racing season. So it was an amazing year for all sport, and obviously um, motor racing was no different. It was it was a shortened season; it was halted. Uh, you only had a few more races to complete uh, for the rest of the series. But how did you juggle trying to stay focused as a professional athlete, dealing with all the distractions and and the changes that COVID brought, and battling your own health as well? <laughs> That's a good question. It's yeah, like I said, it's been extremely tough. But I think the motor the motor racing has really helped because. When you're in that race car, uh, you're not thinking about anything else except for just wanting to go as fast as you can. And I mean, it's it's been my passion since you know, I was seven years old, and uh, I've been lucky to be driving for so many years now. Um, but yeah, just focusing on the racing, and, and when I'm training, I'm just looking at the next race and uh, just wanting to win. And uh, yeah, we've been very lucky this year that the supercars were able to uh, reignite the championship even through COVID, and also run the Super 2 Series. So, um, yeah, to, to win that championship, you know, I've got to thank a lot of people, especially my, my family and, and the team at White Motorsport and all my all my sponsors and uh, all my supporters. So, yeah, everyone's been really, really great. And, and that's what you need. You just need a lot of – you just need positivity in your life. You know, there's no point wasting, wasting your energy thinking about the negatives. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great message, particularly for everyone that's uh... – Battled through 2020. We mentioned before uh, some of the great names that have won the Super 2 Series. We're talking about Scotty McLaughlin, Cam Waters, uh, Mark Winterbottom. You've done that. So so what's 2021 look like for you? Uh, well, at the moment, we're still working through a few things. I haven't I haven't, yeah, locked away exactly uh, all my racing plans yet, but we're hoping sort of within the next few weeks uh, we'll have everything locked away and I'll be looking forward to uh, announcing uh, the 2021 racing plans very very soon. It's a it's a tough sport. You can have all the talent in the world in motorsport, but at times you're just looking for that opportunity. Obviously, you know some of the teams that I guess are in the V8s are, are battling for money after everything that's happened with COVID. At, at times, is it frustrating when you can't land that drive, get that next step in your career? Oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> you, you build up this sort of racing CV or this uh, you know profile over. Well, for me, it's been sort of the last six years in race cars. And I, it's kind of like a, a, a job, you know. I mean, it's it's like going for a job interview at, you know, say uh, BHP or something, and you've got a resume of every, everywhere you've worked. But unfortunately, this one you need to more often than not bring a bring a, a bag load of bag load of money. So um, yeah, just like I said, we're just trying to work through, you know, getting getting everything sorted for 2021, and you know, all the, the sponsorship as well. And it, it's so crucial. Uh, these days and like you touched on with COVID it makes it even harder but uh, yeah I mean all the teams have, have really done it tough the last year or, or this year but um, still to be able to have gone racing in 2020 was fantastic and I think uh, 2021 is going to be even better. I mean you've, you've ticked a lot of boxes along the way and obviously winning the Super 2 Series is, a, is a, a major one of those. Does it ever get a bit disheartening when you can't land that, that next big break? Oh yeah it definitely does. I mean I guess now winning the, the the category below super below supercars is well you can't really do much more. It's kind of like I guess it, if you win the the VFL, I mean you, you're probably you know ready to move up. So 
um, yeah, it, it can be disappointing and frustrating. Certainly been a lot of <laughs> frustrating nights at home, but, you know, there's also been some really good nights at home. And, I mean, you've got to definitely savour all the good moments. And, I mean, yeah, receiving the Innes Island Award a few nights ago is something I'll definitely savour for for a while to come. So, um, And, you know, I think all the teams will see that. And hopefully that's just also going to help aid in getting a full-time drive in the future. You mentioned you're still working out some things for, for 2021. Is there a chance you'll land that full-time drive in the V8? I mean, I guess there's a slim chance, yes, but I'm not. I'm definitely get, not getting my hopes up. I mean, until I'm on the grid, in practice one, heading out on the track, and then uh, I, I won't get my hopes up until then. But um, yeah, there's a small chance, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll just have to wait and see. Is what I mean? It's a bit of a cliched question when someone has a, a, a serious health scare, but has your perspective towards your sport and to your life changed at all with what you've been through this year? I think so. I mean, it's definitely made me realise to appreciate the small things in life and certainly that, you know, like getting angry over, say, a bit of road rage or something, like it's just not worth it. It's not worth your energy and it just goes to show how quickly things can change. I mean, I guess if, if I go to the day before I went to the to the doctors, everything was fine and then the next day you're getting told you got cancer. So uh, for sure it's yeah taught me that, uh, really do, do the things you enjoy and and racing something I really enjoy and it made me realise that that's where I really want to be. You know, I'm sitting on the couch uh, recovering and, you know, going through treatments and made me think, you know, this is, yeah, definitely what I want to be doing and I think it's made me more hungrier to, yeah, get the maximum out of myself and whatever car I drive. And uh, just finally, uh, a little birdie, initials Tim Hodges tells me, you love your footy as well. Uh, you're a Saints man, but you've got to know uh, one of the Tigers' big names pretty well in recent years. Yeah, uh, recent uh, past. Yeah, he's Mr. Rewalt. He's a good lad, and uh, he's had a fantastic year this year, albeit away away from Melbourne. But um, yeah, we caught up uh, in Melbourne when we were doing the Supercars E Series when the when the championship was on halt, and he he got called up to do the Celebrity E Series. And I run a a uh, racing simulator business down here in Melbourne and he, he used my simulator and gave him some driving tips but he was coming over about nearly three times a week before before the race he was he's bloody competitive that guy <laughs> <laughs> so we had a lot of fun and yeah we keep in touch and um, he's listening hey Jack you got to get back on that sim mate we need a we need a crack at 208 at Bathurst how's he going it uh, look we, we did struggle to put a lap together in qualifying um, the, the the game deletes your lap if you hit the wall and uh, I think he hit the wall every lap, so <laughs> that's why he needs to come back, do some more laps. But um, no, it's uh, yeah, he really enjoyed it, and a big congrats to him for and and Richmond for winning the premiership this year in a in a, in a COVID uh, interrupted season. Yeah, he's pretty passionate on the field. I'd imagine he's exactly the same behind the wheel. Uh, Thomas, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Congratulations uh, on the reward. It's an award. It's an amazing achievement. Uh, given everything you've been through this year. Have a great Christmas and New Year, and we'll be following your progress, uh, whoever it may be with, uh, in 2021. Thanks for your time this afternoon. Thank you, and uh, likewise, and look forward to speaking again uh, next year. Lovely. Great to have Thomas Randall on the line, winner of the Super 2 Series and uh, a a worthy winner of the Innes Island Trophy for courage and sportsmanship uh, in international motor racing. So good luck to him uh, in his next adventure in 2021. Uh, Plenty more coming up on SEN Afternoons. 
Julian Stoop filling in for Dwayne Russell today. Plenty more to come in the final hour of SEN Afternoons. We'll speak to Demon uh, Sam Wiedemann. A bit of footy, but mainly about uh, backyard cricket. And some uh, details about the fixture, which will be announced at 3 o'clock Melbourne time, is starting to... Uh, Seep out, well, so we'll go through that and get your thoughts on uh, just the match you're really looking out for when you have a look at the fixture uh, this afternoon. So plenty more to come on SEN Afternoons uh, after the break. We'll take your temper text and you can always give us a call on the Werribee Kia open line 1300 736 736. Welcome back to SEN Afternoons. Dwayne Russell uh, having a well-earned break after a big 2020. Julian DeStoop in the seat for today. Great to have your company. A big final hour of the show coming up. We'll speak to Demon Sam Wiedemann. A bit of footy, but we're also going to talk about an initiative of part of uh, Cricket Australia with uh, Backyard Cricket and just getting everyone out there after a tough 2020 and uh, playing some cricket, all ages, all abilities. Uh, you can always have a hit of cricket on Boxing Day or on Christmas Day. Uh, with your family. So Sam and also Ben Gibson, who is, uh, he's uh, known since childhood, also works at the Melbourne Footy Club and involved uh, with uh, Vermont Backyard Cricket will join us about 2.30 this afternoon. Um, just a few more of your temper texts uh, about these uh, great dominant teams of the 21st century. We're talking, of course, the Hawks, the Lions, the Tigers and the Cats. Uh, good point from Dean Woolert. Uh, the Cats won three out of five, not three out of four. Of course, the Hawks in uh, 2008 and the Pies in 2010 uh, sandwiched uh, in between. Uh, a couple of others here. To be the best, you must beat the best. So the Hawks easy. Then Geelong, Richmond and Brisbane. Uh, one suggested that uh, the Hawks and the Cats were, uh, they benef- benefited from compromised draft. Uh, this text said, not sure the texter can say Geelong's flags were compromised. Sun's first season was 2011. That draft would have little effect on the teams contending that season. Fair point. And the Suns did take their best player, uh, Gary Ablett, at the end of 2010. And one here saying Geelong has to be the best of those mentioned. Lions had numerous concessions when they merged. They did get eight players, but really only Chris Johnson was the only one that played a role in the flag. The Hawks had numerous draft concessions by finishing on the bottom of the ladder. Well, they didn't finish bottom. Uh, They finished second bottom, and they picked Roughhead, Franklin, and Lewis. And uh, earlier than that, they traded away Trent Crowe, you'll remember, for the number one draft pick, which they pretty wisely used on a guy called Luke Hodge. And then another pick they got in that exchange they used on Sam Mitchell. So that was good drafting. Um, and the, this texter goes on to say Geelong's highest draft pick in the last 20 years is pick seven. So clearly that texter uh, is opting for Geelong. As we mentioned uh, before uh, the news break, the AFL fixture will be released at 3 p.m. Melbourne time uh, this afternoon. We know the round one fixture came out on the weekend, highlighted by the season opener between Richmond and Carlton, where the Tigers uh, will unfurl that premiership flag. Maybe they'll unfurl too. I heard Brendan Gale say they're not quite sure how they're going to do that, given they didn't get the chance to unveil their 2019 flag uh, last year. And we know the Collingwood and the Bulldogs will play in the opening Friday night game. So just a few details uh, around the fixture. We'll get the full fixture at uh, 3 o'clock. So we're back to a traditional uh, 23 rounds, 22 matches in season 2021. There's five Thursday night matches in the opening five rounds. 14 of the 18 clubs will play in either the Thursday or Friday night time slots in the opening six weeks. Uh, there'll be AFL and AFLW doubleheaders in rounds one and two. And there, a lot of big rivalry matches have been scheduled for early in the season. So we know Essendon and Hawthorne will play in round one at Marvel Stadium. You've got Carlton and Collingwood uh, in round two. Geelong and Hawthorne in round three. 
Uh, the Swans and the Giants in the local derby, or derby if you're in Perth, uh, in round five. Uh, one of the great modern rivalries has been the Giants and the Western Bulldogs. They'll play in round six. And, of course, you've got the Anzac Day match uh, in round six between Collingwood and Essendon uh, at the MCG. So the return of football to the MCG, a lot of big matches have been scheduled there. Just scanning through a couple of the other significant events, the grand final rematch uh, between Richmond and Geelong will be held at the MCG in round eight. And it's, as we know, there's a pretty juicy match between Collingwood and the Bulldogs in round one, of course, with the Adam Trelaw situation. Uh, as an Essendon fan, I think the first game I've been looking forward to on the fixture is Carlton. And given the, the rivalry with Carlton and the fact that Adam Sard has left the Bombers and joined the Blues, it doesn't happen very often that uh, players switch between those two clubs. So a uh, big couple of weeks for the Bombers. In round six, they'll play Collingwood. And then the following week on the the Saturday, uh, they will play Carlton. So uh, Adam Saad doesn't miss many matches. So you'd think he'd be fit and firing uh, for that game uh, against his old team. Now, there is some five-day breaks uh, as well, which are in con- consultation uh, with the AFLPA. They want that flexibility in the fixture uh, from round six onwards. And we saw a number of short breaks this year. And uh, obviously, we're going back to longer games. Uh, but uh, the players, a lot of players said on mass, they, they were comfortable to a degree uh, playing off the shorter break. So at three o'clock, we'll get uh, the full fixture rounds one to six um, with uh, the time slots. Uh, from then on, it's a more uh, flexible fixture from round seven onwards. So I'd be fascinated to get your uh, calls on the Werribee Kia open line, one three hundred seven three six seven three six 736 Werribee Kia. Australia's number one selling Kia dealership and also your temper text, a mattress like no other temper. 0433 When the fixture comes out, what is the first match you are looking for uh, as a fan? Is it one against your traditional rivals? Are you looking for, well, when do we play Richmond? How many times do we play Richmond? Or maybe at the other end of the table, you're looking at uh, getting double-up matches uh, against uh, some of the teams that struggled uh, in 2020. And and do you like uh, Thursday night football? There's a big push, obviously, from the broadcasters. Uh, a lot of fans like sitting at home watching Thursday night football, but are you a fan of uh, more Thursday night football or as someone that loves to go to the football, do you not find uh, Thursday night football uh, the most uh, appealing? So we'll, we'll talk about some of the other things uh, in the fixture uh, as we go on in this first hour. Always happy to take your calls as well on a range of other topics, whether it's the cricket, are you expecting India to bounce back? Do you expect Australia to do it easily uh, in the Boxing Day test? We're taking your thoughts, too, on these great eras that we've been talking about uh, in the first couple of hours of the show. And we'll continue that conversation tomorrow because Mark Robinson uh, in the Herald Sun will try. <laughs> this would not be easy, putting together those great teams of the Brisbane Lions, uh, the Hawthorne team that won three in a row, the Cats that won three out of five, and the Tigers that won three out of four. He's going to put them all together and name a best 22. I mean, imagine trying to come up with the midfield with those teams. You've got Voss, Black, Ackermanis, Luke Power, Joel Selwood, Jimmy Bartell, uh, Luke Hodge, Sam Mitchell, Jordan Lewis, Dustin Martin, Trent Koch, and Dion Presti. I mean, how do you fit all those players uh, into the one uh, midfield? So that uh, is going to be uh, something that's going to be very difficult uh, for Mark Robinson to do, but uh, there'll be plenty of talk back on the back of that. Uh, that will not be an easy task. It'd be fascinating to get your thoughts uh, tomorrow on that. So we'll hear from uh, Travis Old. He's the, the boss of fixturing and broadcasting at 3 p.m. Uh, Melbourne time, as we said. Uh, matches round to, uh, from round 7 to 23 will have their time slots determined later. Is that something you like as well, or do you like the certainty in your fixture? You, you want to 
pin a game late in the year that you know you want to attend? Do you want to know uh, whether it's on a Friday night or a Thursday night or a Saturday afternoon? Or do you like the flexibility where we look at uh, which teams are going really well, which matches are going to be really strong uh, at the end of the season? And uh, and therefore, we put the good matches on uh, the big time slots and instead of being uh, fixtured in uh, early in the season. Sometimes late in the year, we get some dud Friday night games when really uh, the best time slots uh, should be uh, having the best matches. So it's always an exciting day for fans when the fixture comes out. And this footy season, with oh, fingers crossed, the situation uh, with COVID is under control, that we'll have some big crowds back uh, at the MCG and across all the venues uh, around the country and get back to some normality uh, in the football season uh, next year. So we'll take a quick break and uh, then we'll get your thoughts on the AFL fixture afterwards. You're on SEN Afternoons with Julian DeStoop. Welcome back to Afternoons. Julian DeStoop with you. We're just trying to look through the AFL fixture. So uh, for those um, that have pointed out, yes, the full fixture is out on the AFL website uh, if you want to have a look. But keen to get your thoughts on uh, what game you look for first, what game you're really looking forward to uh, from your club's uh, point of view. We've gone through the fact there's a lot of rivalry games uh, early in the season. Just a couple of other uh, notable big games. Uh, the first Western Derby uh, will be in round seven. The first showdown will be in round eight. Uh, Good Friday football, which after, the, I guess, the success of the crowd in 2019, when there was 48,000 between North Melbourne and Essendon, quite controversially, it was taken off the Bombers uh, once and given back to North Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs. We didn't get that game, of course, with COVID uh, in 2020. It will be on again in 2021, and it will be between North Melbourne uh, and the Western Bulldogs at Marble Stadium. Uh, Anzac Eve, which is a Saturday night this year, with Anzac Day falling on a Sunday, uh, will be Melbourne and Richmond, which uh, those two teams have made that game their own uh, in recent times. And uh, also that night, there will be a game uh, over in Perth, the Len Hall game between Fremantle uh, and North Melbourne. Just a couple of your temper texts uh, from a Hawthorne supporter here saying, I'm just thrilled to see the Hawks' new recruits uh, for the first time, see if the Hawks have improved. Yep, certainly going to be some youngsters on display for the Hawks. Of course, they open the season against their arch rivals, the Bombers, uh, at Marble Stadium uh, in round one. Another one here is from Tim on the road saying, any latest news from Richmond with regards to what they will do with Sydney Stack? Now, nothing yet. They're going to let that play out. Uh, in the courts before making a decision on Sydney. Of course, it's his, well, allegedly he's broken COVID rules again. We know he was sent home from the Gold Coast hub with Callum Coleman-Jones uh, after an incident uh, up there in the hub uh, during the year. Uh, we threw out the question too about the floating fixture uh, before the break. I got a text here from Mike in Perth saying, for us over here in Perth, the floating fixture is terrible. We like to come to Melbourne every year to watch a round or two, but that will now be harder than ever. We book as soon as the fixtures come out to get the best flights and accommodation available. If this changes, it'll be way too expensive to organise if you don't know until four or six weeks in advance to organise time off work, etc. I guess for your Victorians, it won't be an issue, but no good for us. Cheers, Mike in Perth. That's a good point, Mike. And I know some people that... Uh, that follow Victorian teams that like to go and see their team play uh, outside of Victoria a couple of times. So obviously it's not as uh, regular as it is for the teams outside of Victoria, but that might be an issue for some uh, Victorian uh, footy fans as well. So I'd love to get your thoughts on the temper text line 0433 98 11 16 or give us a call 1300 736 736. Uh, Richard, in Cows has done that. I think he wants to change the topic away from footy, which uh, you're more than welcome to do. Richard, thanks for your call. Uh, good afternoon and all the best for Christmas, mate. You too. Look, I was listening to SEN this morning and uh, it was about nine o'clock and they had 
a chap named Matt White, and I think it was Gavin Robinson. That's right. So it was, show it was probably coming from Sydney SEN. Correct. And they were talking about, we know Robert Craddock has mentioned that these four bowlers, what we've got now, are probably the best foursome we've ever had in one go. And then they brought up a question, who would be your best four combination yep. bowlers to make up? And I thought to myself, well, you've got to have Lily, you've got to have McGrath, you've got to have Warren. <laughs> Three pretty much pick themselves, either, don't they? Yeah, and then, of course, you could either throw in Terry Alderman and Mitchell Johnson. And I thought to myself, no, you throw in Mitchell Johnson because he's the fastest left-arm bowler I've ever seen and a complete wrecking machine as well. That's an interesting point you make, and uh, um, absolutely for his record. But if you're picking, I guess, an ideal team, I'll get your thoughts on uh, uh, our current crop in a sec if you hold on, Richard. But I guess if uh, you're picking the balance and you have got you can pick from anyone, I guess you would love a left armour in your lineup. You've got, uh, if we're talking about, you know, early Dennis Lilly, we're talking about some real extreme pace. And then you've got, you know, Mitchell Johnson's got pace and bounce and I guess that unpredictability uh, of uh, the left arm at times. And then you've got the steadiness of McGrath and obviously Warren was not only a wicket taker, but fantastic at uh, keeping the runs down as well. But what, what do you make of this current quartet that we've got? I mean, Pat Cummins, 150 wickets in 31 tests at 21.26. Uh, McGrath's uh, had 124 matches, 563 wickets at 21.64. So almost the same uh, rate there for Pat Cummins. You've got Hazelwood who's just taken over 200 wickets. Uh, Stark is closing in on 250. He's got 248. And then you've got uh, Nathan Lyon, arguably the greatest off-spinner of all time, who's closing in on 400 wickets. So, Richard, from what you've seen from Australian teams in the past, how would you uh, compare the current four that we've got going around at the moment? Well, I always thought that the best four we ever had was uh, McGrath, Gillespie, Lee and Warren as a group, but I'd say this group now is better as a group, and when you throw in this young kid, Green, you've virtually got four fast bowlers. And this is getting now back to the stage where the West Indies in the 1970s, you could have two fast bowlers on and just take them off and put two others on. Yeah, it's a really good point. And, and Cab Green, as we haven't seen the best of his bowling, he's still on uh, restricted overs. And uh, with the size that he has and the bounce that he gets, he, he could be a dangerous bowler. Interesting there, you, you mentioned Brett Lee and Jason Gillespie. When that Australian team was at its strongest um, under Steve Waugh, that, that, at times we had that attack of McGrath, Warren, uh, Lee and Gillespie. Unfortunately, Gillespie had some injuries. So he, he played, in the end, still played 71 tests, but he could have played... A lot more. So 71 tests, 259 wickets at 26. Uh, Brett Lee, 76 wickets, uh, sorry, 310 wickets, 76 tests at uh, a tick under 31. So that was a, a very strong attack. Uh, just as you mentioned there, got a couple of temper techs. Fantastic quartet, but need to wait until they retire before comparing them to the greats. And another one saying, must be Johnson, and he can bat too, which helps uh, the makeup of the side. Richard, interested to get your thoughts on Pat Cummins, it's, it's quite remarkable to think that this young man missed five years of test cricket, burst onto the scene uh, in South Africa in 2011 and had all sorts of problems uh, with his back. Uh, Dennis Lilly said he can, he can come back and take the cricket world by storm, and he's certainly done that. He's clearly now the number one ranked bowler in the world and has raced to 150 wickets, as we mentioned. You sound like someone that you, you watch cricket really closely. You've seen some of the great fast bowlers. Um, how good can Pat Cummins be, do you think? 
Well, maybe by the time he's retired, he will be on maybe better than Dennis Lilly. When you consider, as you've just made a point, he missed, what, five years, was it? Five and years, to think that's right. What he's doing, and to think what he's doing now, and he's physically stronger than what he's probably ever been, he could probably play for another seven years. How many wickets has he got? 150. 150, yep. He's 26 years of he age. Could probably end up with, he'd probably end up with about 600 wickets in seven years' time. Yeah, no, he's going beautifully, Pat Carr. And uh, what what it's what a great comeback it's been. And uh, he was that spell that him and Josh Hazelwood bowled the other day was amazing. Hey, Richard, thank you so much for your time and joining in the conversation. Uh, and it's a great time for Australian cricket in terms of our uh, bowling lineup. And as you say, it's a good point. We've got an exciting all rounder in Cam Green uh, that has burst onto the scene now. Thank you, Richard and Cows, for your call. A couple more temper texts coming through as well uh, about this uh, floating fixture and uh, quite a few out of uh, WA. Uh, The first one here, uh, Julian, as a Frio fan who comes to Melbourne three or so times per year, I have no issue with the floating fixtures. We make a weekend of it and usually see all games played in Melbourne for that round. Example, round one, Frio play Melbourne uh, on the Saturday, but we arrive Thursday and leave Monday and see all five games. Heave ho, that's from Gus uh, in Perth, so no problems there from Gus. Uh, Another one, though, says, agreed with Mike in Perth, who texted in saying uh, it wasn't ideal uh, for WA football followers. He says, agree with your WA texter. Floating fixture is uh, not very good. I won't say the word that he used. For those who want to plan trips to Melbourne to watch their sides. That's from uh, TD in Adelaide. So, uh, yeah, the floating fixture can make it difficult for those that want to travel uh, and watch their team. I think it's from a television point of view, though, it makes some sense. I know that doesn't please everyone that the broadcasters have a big say. But I think the general footy fan towards the end of the season, even if it's not your team involved, I think we want to see the big matches, the matches that determine the makeup uh, of the top eight, the matches that make up the, to- the, 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 um, that determine the top four. That You, you want to see them on the prime time slots uh, late in the season. And I think that's something the AFL is determined uh, to do. So we're just working our way through the 2021 fixture officially announced uh, at three o'clock, and uh, some of those big rivalry matches. I mentioned from an Essendon point of view before that uh, you have to wait until round eight to see Carlton versus Ed- Essendon, which means uh, Adam Saad versus the Bombers as a blue for the first time. And uh, unfortunately for the Bombers fans that want to see Joe Danaher in action as a Brisbane line, it won't be in Melbourne next year. The team just the teams are fixed just once uh, to play in 2021. Uh, that game uh, played at the Gabba. So if you're just tuning in, the, the fixture is out. Uh, at 3 o'clock, we're back to 23 rounds, uh, 22 matches, some big, big matches. Not surprising given uh, we haven't had crowds this year. There's some big matches scheduled uh, in Melbourne for the start of the year. Of course, the first two matches are, are going to be huge. Richmond and Carlton, the traditional season open. Collingwood and the Western Bulldogs, uh, we knew that. But there's some other huge matches at the MCG early on, including uh, Carlton and Collingwood in round two. Uh, the big Anzac round is round six this year. We'll have the Anzac Eve match between Melbourne and Richmond, the traditional match, uh, of course, the next day between uh, Collingwood and Essendon. Grand final rematch is always one uh, to look out for. That'll be in round eight this year at the MCG as well uh, between Richmond and Geelong. Uh, For those listening interstate, you always want to know about the derbies and the showdowns. It's round seven for the derby this year, round eight for the showdown. Good Friday football returns. Uh, it's, of course, this year between North Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs, which it was uh, in the first year. 
uh, and then it was moved to North Melbourne St Kilda, which didn't really work in terms of the crowd. Then it went to North Melbourne and Essendon. They got 48,000. wasn't a great game, but a great turnout. But they've gone back uh, to North Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs, which uh, they were going to do uh, this year as well. So, uh, if you want to join us with any thoughts uh, on the uh, AFL fixture or anything that's happening in sport, the Werribee Kia open line is always open. one three hundred. 736-736. You can send us a temper text as well. 0433-981116. Um, so we'll read out your text. Of course, we're here thanks to Summit Internet. Answer phones from anywhere on uh, any device. Um, so uh, there's the AFL fixture being released uh, very shortly. It's on the AFL website. Uh, another one coming through here. We're talking about a lot of about the floating fixture. Uh, we want to be able to plan our year, not watch the big games at whatever time slot. So that's coming through uh, quite strongly at the moment. Also, a couple more on the cricket. We had Richard from Cows ring in talking about uh, the great fast bowlers and, and who who would you pick as the ideal quartet uh, for Australia if you had the choice of any. Uh, someone else threw in James Pattinson, who's a very good bowler. And uh, unfortunately for him, uh, while the three at the moment, Mitch Stark, uh, Josh Hazelwood and Pat Cummins are fit. It's going to be really tough for him to get a game. And uh, one saying, Jules, I'm not sure if this is from an Englishman in Chris. I've got a feeling it might be. I'm sure you remember Harmison, Flintoff, Simon Jones and Matthew Hoggard. They gave us nothing but trouble. So clearly it is an Australian. Do, do you agree that our current four leave them in the dust? Uh, not sure about leave them in the dust because that series, they were unbelievable. Uh, but they probably didn't have the longevity due to the injury to Simon Jones uh, and Steve Harmison. Uh, he didn't have many great years uh, after that one. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to, to line up the two, but maybe the Australian team, particularly with such a great off-spinner as well uh, in Nathan Lyon, uh, might have them covered. So we'll, we'll get to the newsroom. We'll, uh, we'll speak to Sam Wiedemann after the break uh, about a bit of footy, but mainly about uh, backyard cricket. He takes it pretty seriously, and he'll tell us all about that after the break, but let's get to the newsroom. Thank you, Nat. Uh, Demon Sam Wiedemann, not too far away. We're going to talk a bit of footy, but mainly cricket and uh, backyard cricket at an initiative from Cricket Australia. Just want to get everyone out there after a tough 2020 and play some cricket. Christmas Day, Boxing Day, it's a big part of many Australians' uh, Christmas, getting out there with the family, maybe after a couple of beers and uh, coming off the long run and trying to knock your, knock your cousin's head off or your uncle's head off. So we're going to talk to Sam Wiedemann and have a bit of fun about that. Also, as we, uh, we've been talking about for the last half an hour, uh, the AFL fixture is out for 2021. Now, we mentioned uh, in the first five rounds, uh, there is five Thursday night games. So in the, in the first uh, six weeks where the time slots have been determined, 14 of the 18 clubs will play in either a, at least one marquee slot, so a Thursday night or a Friday night. The four clubs that miss out on that uh, in the first six rounds are Fremantle, Hawthorne, Melbourne and North Melbourne, although the Kangaroos do play uh, on a Friday in the uh, Twilight game, which is the uh, the Good Friday game against the Western Bulldogs uh, at Marvel Stadium. So in, a, in effect, the Kangaroos are still getting a marquee game, even though it's not a Friday night uh, or a Thursday night. Certainly this idea of the floating fixture is not sitting well uh, with a lot of people. Uh, here's one, uh, some uh, Twitter feedback saying, it's also a kick in the gut to state leagues who can't set their own fixtures. SA event organisers who tried to avoid Adelaide Oval AFL games and diehard footy fans who can't plan any other events in their lives in June, July and August until AFL allows a few weeks out. Another one says they want fans to travel, 
but will give four weeks' notice to book flights and accommodation. It's far from great. So certainly that idea of the floating fixture, which personally I, I quite like, and I like to see the big matches later in the year. But as you, as a lot of people have pointed out, if you're travelling to games, uh, that p- can be quite difficult. So uh, keep sending us your thoughts on that on the temper text line 0433 uh, 1116. But as we mentioned, uh, Sam Wiedemann is not too far away. The young Demons Ford is going to be joined by Ben Brown. Uh, they open their season against Fremantle uh, on the Sunday of the opening round uh, in 2021 at the MCG. We're going to talk a bit of footy to him, but we're also going to talk about backyard cricket, how it should be played, how serious you should take it, what some of the rules are. We'll talk to Sam after the break on SEN Afternoons. Welcome back to SEN Afternoons. Julian DeStoop with you. We're going to turn our attention back to cricket now, but uh, not the international stuff, not the Boxing Day test, but something that's uh, it's just as important to many people around Australia, particularly on Christmas Day. We've all had experience of playing backyard cricket. There's all sorts of different rules, uh, different pitches, uh, as we say, different rules for going out and uh, automatic wicket keepers and all these things. And we're going to have a bit of fun uh, chatting about this to uh, Melbourne key forward Sam Wiedemann. That's right, Melbourne key forward Sam Wiedemann. We'll explain why in a minute. He's joined by Ben Gibson. They both play for Vermont BYC. First of all, welcome, boys. Thanks, Jules. Thanks, Jules. Not international yet, we'll say. Yet. Yeah. Okay. Well, explain, first of all, uh, explain what Vermont BYC is all about. Basically, uh, it is just backyard cricket that has expanded into something quite ridiculous. So started in a backyard like any other backyard cricket. But then after a few smash windows and uh, whatnot, we thought we'll expand to a park. And all of a sudden, it, it has taken off. We we used a review system to um, obviously review the decisions when there were some dodgy ones given by the batsman who is umpiring. And then from that, we were capturing vision. So I stuck it on Twitter. And for some unknown reason, uh, about a 1,000 people who have never met us decide a good way to spend their weekend is to watch us playing backyard cricket. Beautiful. Now, this is this is all part of a Cricketer Australia campaign. Uh, it's called Australia We're Made of Play. So basically, the, the, the message here has been a really tough year for everyone and uh, it's just a great time to pick up a bat and ball and play some cricket this Boxing Day. Cricket is limitless. Anyone can play. Anything can be achieved and anywhere can be a pitch. So head to cricket.com.au made of play to find out how you could win our $10,000 prize pool simply by sharing your cricket moment like the boys do. So, Sammy, first of all, at your height, you must be able to get a bit of pace. Are you, are you a bowler or you a batsman? And tell us through, take us through, uh, I guess, your cricket experiences growing up. Um, yeah, so grew up playing for Vermont um, as a junior and then probably had to sort of get rid of that to play to play footy and focus on that. But, um, yeah, I pride myself on my backyard cricket skills at the moment. Um, probably an opening bowler. like to really hit the deck hard and uh, hurt my opponent. Um, but, yeah, and I'm a bit of a hack, a bit of a slogger with the bat, so... Um, yeah, but we have we have a lot of fun doing this. Um, yeah, look, look forward to it every summer. So yeah, we'll see what this uh, this summer can can do. So well, how often do you get together and, and have matches over summer? Uh, well, usually we have close to about ten. I reckon a, a summer. We've got a Nashes series that we really focus <laughs> on. Um, yeah, five tests between the Badgers and the Pioneers. I'm a part of the Pioneers. Um, we've uh, we're one apiece at the moment, and uh, yeah, it's very exciting. We can't wait for the first test to come. That's in a the coming days. So to both of you, uh, I'll start with you, Sammy, and then go to you, Benny. What are your memories of, of backyard cricket growing up? And particularly, 
around Christmas time. I remember it was big in our family, and uh, when you're a young fella, you take it pretty seriously. It's a big day, not only getting your presents, but playing some backyard cricket. You want to do pretty well. What are your memories, Sam, of, of growing up and playing some backyard cricket? Yeah, well, I'm probably the youngest in my family, so I was often bullied by my cousins with a lot of short balls and, um, yeah, in the backyard. But, um, yeah, I, I love it. I'm, I've got a big passion for cricket, so whenever I... On Christmas Day, I love to get out there, and especially on Boxing Day, watching the test every lunch break, just get out there and try and bowl as many balls and try and push Dad in the backyard to try and play with me. But, um, yeah, that's yeah, I've got some good memories w- with that. I've got two older sisters, and they both bowled pies. So <laughs> uh, I, d- I decided to lean on the mates a little bit more, and um, now we're, what, 23 years of age and still doing it. So we kind of understand that this is embarrassing, and the fact that we're talking about it on radio is probably even worse, but... Um, it has expanded, and somehow we still enjoy it. Yeah, so, it'll continue. So, what are, what are some of your rules around the backyard cricket? It's pretty... first of all, let's take us through the the pitch. How do you prepare the pitch? Oh, we've got a curator in Ben Riddle who is uh, fresh into the landscaping industry, so he brings down his mower, and um, yeah, he takes good care of that pitch. Last year, Sam and I actually ducked down to Kmart, bought some. Uh, tablecloths. We yep. there was going to be rain scheduled overnight, so we um, nailed them. <laughs> I don't into... know how proud we are of that. But <laughs> it was, um... I'm, not, I'm not proud of anything that we're talking no, about. But... No, we are 23 year olds. So we did that. Keep it nice and dry. I don't think the council love it. Um, it is a local park. I don't think the neighbours love us rocking up year in year out. Um, just yesterday, Sean Bell was caught snooping in the backyard of, of a neighbour. Those ones don't particularly like us, but no. you got to do these things. And what about some of the rules in the match? Is it just normal cricket rules? Or? Yeah, so we try and keep it as real as possible. No um, gimmicks. Yeah, no gimmicks. We don't like that one hand, one bounce, all that sort of stuff. The only one we do have is six and out, which there's a fence pretty close by up the ground and on the leg side. So, yeah, whenever it goes over there, you've got you to pay the price. Uh, I've had to pay that price a fair few times. Um, but, yeah, so we're trying to keep it as real as possible. And, um, yeah, we've got plenty of camera angles to make sure that happens. There's a severe advantage for the left-hander. So the right-hander on the on the leg side has six and out. The left-hander doesn't. Cody Logan took the uh, Ashes series apart a couple of years ago. So we went to the free agency period and picked up James White, who wasn't really part of the friendship group, but he is a left-hander. So it was important for the Badgers last year. And he said, he said camera angles there. Mm. How, how many cameras have we got on these matches? Uh, six. So, Six cameras. Yeah, we, yep. we try to cover most parts of the ground. It started with just the review system, but now you need helmet cam. We mic up players. Um, all, all of that makes it as real as possible and gives the fans at home the best experience. How does the review system work? Uh, well, you get one per innings. You, yeah. you go upstairs and basically question the umpire on their decision, so you just have to do it off the off the phone. But there are some overturned decisions because th- there is some cheating. The, the non-batting batsmen pays the pays the decision. So it's an important aspect of backyard cricket. And how long do these matches go for? Jeez, we've had some long, gruelling matches. What, we're talking about five days here? Uh, we're talking nah. four to five hours. Last year, <laughs> there was some real heat stroke. Uh, I think the 29th of December. Yeah, a few we played of us, on in 43 degree yeah, heat, I think it was. The, the review system actually died because it was too hot for the phones. But um, we kept going and uh, Badgers got the victory. How does Goody feel about all this? You, you steaming in off in 43 degree heat. Look, I wouldn't say it's too strenuous on the body, so he's okay with that. But he actually loves it. He he regularly asks me about it, and he's he's a pioneer fan, which is which is great. Um, but yeah, no, he he really enjoys it because he's he's a big cricket fan himself. So I often checks in to see how I'm going and making sure I'm just playing through the V and, and, and getting my runs on the board. So why is he a pioneers fan? I uh, just I 
basically because I'm playing for him. So <laughs> he's got to have my back, which um, which he does. So Thanks for the yeah. support, Goody. <laughs> yeah. Who else at the D's fancied themselves uh, with a cricket ball in hand or a cricket bat in hand? We have a lot of keen cricketers and a lot of good cricketers, actually. Um, fair few district cricketers, but... Um, yeah, Angus Brayshaw, he's, he's got a, a little bit of ability, but he probably loves it more than anyone. Um, he's a big fan. But um, yeah, there's some great crews like Adam Tomlinson, Mitchie Brown. They're all former district cricketers and they've yeah, got lots of talent. So th- this is pretty serious backyard cricket you boys are playing. But just for the people that are having their backyard cricket games on Boxing Day, I mean, what sort of rules do you think are okay? You know, auto- is, should there be an automatic wicketkeeper if you haven't got enough? Should there be automatic slips is it one hand one bounce can you only can you go out first ball for example oh absolutely if you if you you've got to penalize the the poor batting so um no you don't want too many gimmicks obviously you've got to work around whatever your backyard uh provides but no don't go light on anyone growing up did you have pretty strict rules in your backyard cricket anything as a young fella you didn't agree with yeah i'm I'm a cricket traditionalist so i like to keep all the rules the the same but I do understand it is it is a bit of fun. So <laughs> as much as we like to take it seriously, nah. So I'm I'm all about the auto auto wiki. Um, one hand, one bounces, touch and go. But I think yeah, everything else is just play on. What about the ball? What what ball should people be using on Boxing Day? I mean, it should just be the, the straight tennis ball. Tape it up a bit so you get a bit of movement. Taped up seam. So you don't want tape on one side or it swings around too much, and that's unrealistic. So we just got the tape seam. Um, anything more than that really starts to sting. I've been pushing for a half tape swing ball, but uh, yeah, the uh, the Badgers batsmen don't want that. So what are we using at the? What are we using here? Uh, just a tennis ball with yeah. with the a bit of electrical tape. Okay. over the seam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what about Boxing Day in terms of watching the cricket for you boys? It was an amazing weekend of cricket. Unbelievable. I think after day one, it's going to be a five day test, and we go home at night and watch every day, and then it's all over. Two and a half days in. What do you Boxing Day? Do you go to the Boxing Day test? What What's your sort of tradition around uh, the cricket on Boxing Day? Well, this Boxing Day we'll actually be having a live streamed match, a BYC <laughs> exhibition match uh, on our an Twitter, exhibition Twitter page. Match. An exhibition match. It's going to be a ten ten. Uh, plenty of fireworks to be seen there over on our Twitter. So um, jump on that and give us a watch. Usually we like to get along to the cricket, but um, yeah, this year we'll we'll be playing an absolute beauty of a game. So how many people are watching? You said you've had quite good numbers. Well, it's yeah, it's ridiculous, really. We've got some great fans. Kane Corns is our number one ticket holder. Is he? Yeah. What do you get for being the number one ticket holder? Ah, uh, just, just a prize. Just yeah. <laughs> yeah. Happy with that. Yeah. He's played 300 games. He's an uh, AFL Premiership player, but nothing compares to being BYC's number one ticket holder. Is he ever critical? I mean, we know Kane's can, he can be critical. Yes. Yeah, Has he ever I'll, had a go at you, Sammy? Uh, yeah, he calls me symbols um, <laughs> because I've dropped a few catches in my time. So, yeah, no, he's very critical, but it's all fair. It's, uh, yeah, I, I put it on myself. You need that feedback. Yep. So have any of the, the keen cricketers at the D's been pushing to get a start in any of these matches or is it is it pretty difficult to get in? It's very much the, the schoolboys from out Vermont way, but could you open the door for a few of the boys? Yeah. Harry Petty wanted a game a few years back. But yeah, he not. was a chance to take a rookie spot, but uh, probably probably just missed out there. But they're, no, they're pushing for, for a game. They, they want a uh, BYC All-Stars take on, but we'll have to wait and see, see how it grows. I'll just ask you one about the footy before we let you go. A lot of Melbourne supporters out there are pretty excited about a Sam Wiedemann-Ben Brown combination next year. I'm Just take us through your thoughts during the trade period when you heard Benny might be joining you and subsequently he has. How exciting is that for you to be to be playing alongside him? Yeah, it's very exciting. Um, yeah, I'm really excited at working with Benny. Um, he's obviously a very talented player who's just had a little bit of... Uh, hasn't had much luck with injury uh, over the past year, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what we can do together. We've got a very 
Um, we've got a very sort of open forward line now. We can um, There's a fair few to pick from, so it's going to be competitive for spots. But, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the chance of working with him. Every year's a big year in, in footy, but for the Ds next year, it, it's massive. After 2018, it hasn't quite gone right since. Um, it's just a huge year for your footy club in 2021. Yeah, definitely. I, I think we, we made a lot of inroads last year, but yeah, obviously it was a very disappointing end, not making finals. And finals is our is our goal this year, and we want to get back to when, where we know we can be. We want to try and put 2018 in the past, not delving that too much, but um, I feel like we can play some good footy next year and see where we go. Just finally, one more on the cricket. How willing does it get in terms of the sledging between you two guys and your two teams? Yeah, it's pretty brutal. So I, I think what really started this is we had a draft a couple of years back. Uh, we all suited up. Coincidentally, the draft was rigged. We all knew where we were going, but it was a great night. <laughs> Had to delist Sean Bell from the Badgers via Facebook inbox, and that made things pretty tense. So uh, he got rookie drafted by the Pioneers the next year, and from there, I think things have really started to heat up. Definitely gets personal. Yeah, the sledges get probably more and more personal each year. As the, as the games fire up, me and Ben have, have a lot of run-ins, um, yeah. even though we do work together. It, uh, it, Still yeah. don't like each other. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, for the listeners, Ben works at Melbourne Footy Club as well, so I guess you've got to be careful. I've got two full-time jobs, actually, <laughs> yeah. uh, both in the... In the media industry. <laughs> exactly, BYC content creator. So, it's uh, yeah, it does get personal, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's got to be if, it's that, if we take it that seriously. Absolutely. Sounds like it's very serious. But a bit of fun here, guys. And as we say, it's uh, all part of the Australia We're Made of Play campaign. Get out there, play some cricket on Boxing Day. Cricket is limitless. Anyone can play. Anything can be achieved. And anywhere can be a pitch. Of course, head to cricket.com.au, made of play, to find out more how you could win our $10,000 prize pool simply by sharing your cricket moment like these boys have done uh, for the last years, few years. Ben Gibson, Sam Wedeman, thanks so much for coming in. And, uh, well, good luck to the Ds for both of you next year. But from a player's point of view, Sam, I uh, hope it's a great 2021 for you. Awesome. Thanks, thanks Jules. Jules. Thanks for having us. Thank you to the boys, Ben and Sam. If you, before we finish the show after the break, you got any memories of uh, backyard cricket growing up? What are you going to do this Boxing Day or this Christmas Day with your family? And what are some of the rules you think should be in? And uh, what's some of the rules that uh, you don't like? You can always give us a call, one 736 736 This is SEN Afternoons. Welcome back to SEN Afternoons. Julian DeStoop with you. It's been great to have your company. Just about to hand over to poor old Anthony Hudson and Damien Fleming. They thought they'd be calling day five uh, of the test over in Adelaide. They've come back early. No rest for the wicked. Not like the players. No extra days off for these two. They'll be taking the reins of, in drive. They'll speak to Peter Lawler, uh, one of the great cricket journos, to, to discuss uh, everything that happened over there in Adelaide and also what will happen in the Boxing Day test. Uh, with the fixture out as well, I'm sure they'll be keen to take plenty of your calls about the AFL fixture. Just a couple more temper texts uh, before we wrap up. Uh, on the back of that discussion we had uh, with Sam Wiedemann and Ben Gibson about backyard cricket, no one hand, one bounce. That's not backyard cricket. Get off the radio, boys, said Steve. I agree. Got to have one hand, one bounce. We're not playing for sheep stations here. Uh, we've got to get, you know, someone batting for too long uh, on Christmas Day. So, yeah, get the one hand, one Bounce in. A couple more on the fixture. The floating fixture is overdue. Saves us from putrid Friday night games week after week. Happy days, says Nathan. And uh, not a happy Essendon supporter here. A couple of points. Jules, why is, why is it Collingwood's home game on Anzac Day? How is it Essendon's problem? This year they had no fans. Well, in fairness to Collingwood, they missed out on their home game uh, in 2020. Uh, so, yes, it would have been Essendon's turn in 2021, but Collingwood gets the home game. Uh, Joseph in Hillside, who sends this text, also not happy Essendon has to leave Melbourne five times uh, by round 10, while Carlton only leave once, and the fact that Essendon have to play West Coast in Perth for the fourth year in a row, so he's not happy. And I must admit, as an Essendon supporter, I broke into a cold sweat during the ad break looking at the fixture, 
Essendon's got to play in Geelong next year. They haven't played in Geelong since 1993. Now, since then, Geelong have played 220 times. This is thanks to the stats guru, Josh Kay. They've won 163. They lost 48, and they've drawn three times. So not only do the Bombers have to go interstate five times, six times, make it seven. Because if you go into Geelong, that's basically an interstate game. So it's been a long time since some of the big teams have played in Geelong. Carlton did a couple of years ago. It's been a long time since the Pies. 1999 was the last time uh, they went down the highway. Now the Bombers, who have come off a shocking year, have to go to play Geelong in Geelong. So uh, Essendon fans might not be uh, too happy for that. Uh, thanks for your company uh, this afternoon. We've been here thanks to Summit Internet. Answer phones from anywhere on any device. Uh, Sam Hargraves uh, will be back in the chair tomorrow afternoon. I'll be taking over mornings again from 9 to 12. But stay tuned uh, for the rest of the afternoon. Anthony Hudson, who called a two-and-a-half-day test match, he was hoping it would be five, uh, will be joined by Damien Fleming. The boys will bring you home with drive. Plenty of cricket talk. Uh, with Peter Lawler, and they will be taking their calls. Hutto will be happy that the Cats are playing the Bombers in Geelong. He's already penciled that in uh, for a win next year. Plenty of calls on the AFL fixture, which has been released for 2021. We'll chat to you tomorrow. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.